Now this is most important, Rat. Comes down to making out whenever possible. Put on side one of Rock All Over You Podcast! Let's rock! Eric and Edwin! Edwin and Eric! They don't give a fuck! They just want you to rock! Yeah! Bam 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 dilly D! Bam bam bam! For dirty minds and clean bodies, I will show you how to get the body you always wanted and the woman it belongs to. Yes, the Paul Stanley exercise tape. Join me, won't you? The Paul Stanley workout tape, available where better videos are sold. Because a muscle is a terrible thing to waste. from KISS and I'm here today on the Rock All Over You podcast as a special guest star so we're gonna be talking about a really really great album Hot in the Shade people wow well, that is Paul Stanley from, uh, <laughs> from KISS from no excuse me KISS it's KISS KISS Paul Stanley KISS yeah that was KISS. pretty good Eric pretty good pretty good yeah, yeah. Edwin how are you brother uh, I'm doing great. Uh, I mean, I was just listening to Hot in the Shade for like uh, an hour and a half. Uh, it was an hour of the album, and then I re-listened to a couple choice tracks. Yeah, there's a couple choice tracks. Uh, unfortunately, I had to listen to some of the less than choice tracks uh, to get to them. But so I don't know. I can't. I can't really think straight right now because I was listening to Hot in the Shade. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, they should call this album Hot in the Shit because goddamn, it's there's some really good songs on it, I will admit. Spoiler alert. There's some really great songs on this album, but the problem is it's buried under a bunch of shit. Like, if this would have been a 10-track album, it probably would have been, like, a, a decent follow-up from the horrible Crazy Nights. But the problem is they threw so much shit on here that there's so much fucking filler. It's like taking a hot dog and then just, like, shoving it with, like, poop and shit and dog turds. It was so bad. Um... I, it took me probably, like, I listened to this album one last time uh, before we did this album. Well, twice, actually. It took me uh, two hours. Uh, two hours listening to the album twice and two hours to reevaluate my life. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm not, I'm not as hard on this album as you. So that's it. I will say it's uh, the hot dog analogy is uh, true to a degree. I mean, it's junk food, and I definitely feel like I lost some brain cells after listening to this. Uh, but, yeah, it's definitely better than the album before. But, you know, that well, let me tell before. you something, Edwin. <laughs> Maybe you just don't really get the album. You just don't understand good Kiss music. I mean, this album is phenomenal. It's so good, we didn't even have to re-record it. We just used the demos of this album. 
It's just all demos because we're that good because we're Kiss. There's no other band like us. Hey, Paul, I'm sticking up for you. I'm the one saying I think it's not that bad. Fucking direct that yeah, shit fuck to you, air. Paul. I'm the one that's fucking <laughs> trashing it, motherfucker. <laughs> get it together. But, um, yeah, so well, how's everything? Before we get fully into this. Yeah, we should talk about, uh, just, I mean, we reviewed Kiss before on the Mel Dungeon, but this is the Rock All Over You podcast. This is a totally new entity. Edwin, you, you gotta explain your story about how you discovered Kiss again, because I think it's a pretty fascinating one, because it's not like everyone else's, uh, discovery of Kiss. No, well, it's connected to this album, so I guess, I guess I have yeah. to. I guess I have to tell <laughs> the story again. But, yeah, essentially, this was my gateway album to Kiss. It's like the late 80s, it's like, I'm in junior high, this, this, hide your heart, you know, I saw the video for it on, um, uh, I guess it was Headbangers Ball. Yeah, I probably saw it on Headbangers Ball. And at the time, I liked that. I thought, hey, this is cool. I've heard about these. I like maybe I've heard a song or two about from Kiss before. Believe it or not, like I don't even. I I gotta be honest with you. Like this is gonna seem crazy to some people, but like I don't know if I even heard like rock and roll all night at that point. Like Ooh. I. Yeah, I I really. I mean, when I was a very little kid. There was some kiss, like I had some kiss shit, like that my mom just bought me. You know, it was very like very late seventies, early eighties mm-hmm. on the cusp of that when kiss. It had to be like seventy eight was definitely their their peak. Yeah, I, so it, it I was like a toddler when I think they were already like not cool for like people that weren't like five year yeah five years old. It was like Hanna Barbera kind of shit. Like so, <laughs> so I think like my mom. I don't remember because like I said, I was just a toddler. So my mom just had some KISS stuff, but it was like along with Mickey Mouse and Donald Duck and Star Wars. Like, I remember I had a KISS poster and there was like an 8-track of Alive, and but I don't really remember listening to KISS or being very aware of KISS other than they were just, it's like, I just have flashes of images. You know, when you're like just a toddler, you don't really have full memories. Like, yeah. as an adult, you just have these flashes of images, you know, so... I just had some flashes of images that Kiss was like some kind of superhero monster band that like remember like the, the banana splits and things like that. Oh like, yeah, the banana yeah. splits. Hell yeah! Like I just thought of Kiss like that. Like it was some They're kind like of monkeys or some shit yeah, like some, that. Some kind of band of clown men when I was a kid that, that <laughs> I got <laughs> Uh, so I didn't really think much about them, you know. And then, like, I think it was, like, the late 80s. I think I did see a video for, um, uh, I, uh, it's the Creatures of the Night one. Was, I love uh, it loud. I love it loud. I always forget if he loves it or likes it. But, yeah, it's <laughs> love. I guess like wouldn't be that strong. I know Kiss, Kiss fans right now are having a brain hemorrhage. <laughs> <laughs> for real. Because I'm like, you know, I didn't grow up as a diehard Kiss fan that knows everything about them. I mean, now it's different because every like most people that got into Kiss, Kiss was usually like the gateway band that got them into like hard rock, heavy metal, and they're like they're a band that most people discover when they're very young, like almost you know when they're kids almost. Yeah, I think if I was just a couple years older. You know, uh, I was, like, born in the mid-70s instead of the late 70s. I feel like I might have been one of those kids. Yeah. I, I just missed it. I was just a little too young. 
So, I mean, it was actually my, like, older brother got me into stuff like Dokken. Like, I heard a full, a full Dokken album before I heard a full Kiss album. So, well, thank God for that, because uh, <laughs> most, most full Dokken albums are better than most full Kiss albums. Oh, well, yeah. Totally. Uh, but, but I grew, so I think I, I saw I Love It Loud, and that was a cool video and a cool song. Oh, amazing video. And, and un- unfortunately, I didn't run out and get Creatures of the Night. Which I should have, because that would have been a great gateway album. album. Oh, that would have been. And if I had listened to Creatures of the Night in the late 80s, I I probably would have became a Kiss fan at that moment. Or many of their 70s albums, or even like a Lick It Up or Animal Lives. I feel like if I got one of those albums, I probably would have became a Kiss fan. But it was this album, Hide in the Shade, Hide Your Heart Was Out. And I thought, okay, this is kind of a catchy little tune. I'll give these Kiss guys a chance. Like, this was back then, you know, we didn't have Spotify or YouTube, so you couldn't, like, just, you know, test oh, yeah. out a whole band's discography. So you, you, usually, you usually went for whatever, like, the new album was at the time that MTV was pushing. So that's why I got... It was before Forever came out, too. It was like... So it was pretty early on when this album was released, because Hide Your Heart was the only single from it. Yeah. So... I got it, and I gotta say, I was I was disappointed. And this this is junior high at Eddie, so like it's not like I had the most discerning <laughs> taste. But, yeah, but usually junior high, you like like some shit that like you know as you grow up, you realize, oh man, it's horrible. <laughs> I think the thing is, I was spoiled because I, by that point, I was already listening to like seventies Aerosmith, AC, nice. ACDC. I had like it, so like I, I was Aerosmith, ACDC, Guns N' Roses. I was already listening to music that was better than this. So I think that's why when I heard it, I was just like... And already some of the stuff that my brother liked, like I like Night Songs and all those docking albums, I thought was better than this. There was a couple songs I thought were all right, but the funny thing is now I like this album better than I did then. Then I listened mm-hmm. to it a couple times, and... You know, I kind of, I remember thinking, oh, forever, that that will probably be a hit song. That sounds like a memorable, like, power It ballad. actually was a, it was a pretty decent hit for them, because I think oh, it's yeah. one of their higher charting, one of the highest charting songs they have. It's actually their highest charting song from the non-makeup oh, nice. era. nice. Their biggest hit from the non-makeup era. It actually broke the, the top ten, like, not rock top ten, like, the pop billboard, like, top ten. So is it an actual real hit from Kiss? Yeah. If you have Kiss store, Edwin, Edwin, <laughs> you, you you spread some lies there. You're just a Kiss hater because we have so many number one songs. I just don't I don't get it, Edwin. You're just not a true Kiss believer. Woo! <laughs> Only two songs ever broke the top ten uh, from Kiss, which were Beth and this song. That's it. Yeah, I don't Beth. like to talk about Beth. <laughs> Uh, so, yeah, so, and, you know, it was all right. Actually, Forever was one of the songs I didn't think was too bad, but, you know, it wasn't, you know, I didn't love it either. So, this album, it just kind of, it kind of faded away. Like, it's an album I listened to once and twice, and then I was just like, ah, yeah, I guess Kiss isn't really for me. There were other kids, other headbanger kids that were saying Kiss sucked, so <laughs> there was a rumor going around. So, I was like, oh, I guess those kids are right. I guess Kiss kind of sucked. So I just let it go. It wasn't until, I think it's when they did the Unplugged show, mm-hmm. a couple years later, Revenge Air, and they did the Unplugged show, that and they, that had a great set list, and they played a lot of great old deep tracks. That was 
kind of what got me thinking about Kiss again, and maybe, and I started thinking, well, maybe their old stuff's better. And I eventually bought Rock, uh, Rock and Roll, uh, Rock and, uh, sorry, Rock. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I don't know why I'm forgetting all these kids titles <laughs> rock and roll all over you. <laughs> Hold on. But you, you know what? The, the problem is, I'm telling you what the problem is. The problem is fucking hot in the shade has made me a moron. <laughs> yeah, it damaged a couple brain cells there. It did, because it's like, like one of my favorite uh, albums. <laughs> they say doing drugs will ruin your brain cells. No, listen to hot in the fucking shade. That'll ruin some fucking brain cells. Hey, right. right there. I'm sorry. <laughs> rock and roll over. Rock and roll over. Rock and Roll Over, which is an amazing album and my favorite Kiss album, still to this day. Sadly, we're not talking about a good Kiss album here. (laughs) That's not not as much fun. I mean, all I'm going to say is every song's awesome on that album. Now, I love that album, and that got me into Kiss, and I became a big Kiss fan. I know it doesn't sound like I'm a big Kiss fan, but I did actually become a big Kiss fan. Uh, Apologies for my... uh, brain damage after listening to Hot and Shade for an hour and a half. <laughs> but it's it's like I said, it's odd because yeah, I got into Kiss like in my in my twenties. <laughs> like that's when I became a fan. I became a fan and now I have all their albums, even their shitty albums, you know? I, I have I have everything. Even Carnival Souls. Like, you know, I I don't have that like alive with the strings. <laughs> like that, Oh that, god, uh, no one should own that fucking album. I, I drew the line there. I was like, I'm not owning that shit. But I own every proper Kiss studio album, you know, the 78 solo albums, all that stuff. I have, you know, a lot of Ace Freely. Actually, I have every Ace Freely album. He's my favorite member of Kiss. Mm-hmm. And I am a fan. I wouldn't say they they, they don't break my, like, top 15, but... They've they dropped don't. a couple spots on my top five. They used to be number one for yeah. a while, uh, but they've they really dropped down a lot, uh, you know. They're, they're from New York. I don't like New York very much. Um, and, uh, yeah, and just, you know, all the shit that they do now just really makes me kind of not like them so much. And there's so many other bands I've discovered that are just, you know, I'm sorry, they're just a lot better. I still love, they're, Kiss always have a spot in my heart, you know, because they were the first ones I got into. So when when you got into Kiss, because uh, you were a kid, was it? You know, I was six years old. Would that be your father or mother who would have got you into Kiss? Technically, it was it was both of them because they were both into Kiss. Uh, it was really I think it was like they had VH1 on one day. I'm a six year old kid, and they had a music video for Rock and Roll All Night where they're just showing all this different footage of uh, Kiss throughout the years. And I just saw them. I thought they just looked fucking cool as fuck. Um, I just, you know, I thought they were the coolest looking thing ever, and then I just, as a kid, I loved that song, Rock and Roll All Night. <laughs> Nowadays, I fucking hate that song. I think it's horrible. It's one of their worst songs. But as a kid, I fucking love it. You know, it's, it's an easy song for a little kid to get into. Um, and I, I just love that song. I was singing the hell out of it as a kid. And then finally, uh, my mom was going to work, and my mom liked to listen to some music and everything while she was getting ready for work. She worked the night shift at the time. And she had her big bag of CDs that she would take to work with her to listen to on her computer while she worked. And uh, she had listened to some of them before she went to work. And I said work there a lot. And uh, <laughs> she was listening to the Love Gun album. And I hear Tomorrow and Tonight. I'm like, ooh, like this is a really good song. And I found out it's Kiss again. I was looking at the album cover. <laughs> thought it was fucking awesome. And uh, I, I told my mom, like, Mom, can I borrow this CD? Because I want to keep listening to this song. And she let me. 
And right then there, like, the floodgates open. Like, I remember seeing, uh, I remember my dad watching, uh, the unplugged, uh, the unplugged thing on MTV and I remember watching it with him. And, uh, I was fascinated because he's like, oh, this is, these are, this is that band you like, uh, Kiss, but this is them without their makeup. And obviously right after that, the reunion happened. And, uh, you know, it was basically, it was a good time to really get into Kiss because the reunion had just happened right when I got into them and started becoming a fan. And it was, you couldn't escape Kiss. It was like back in like, you know, 96 through 2000, you couldn't go into a fucking Spencer's without there being a massive like Kiss section. You know, you had the Kiss teddy bears and the makeup kits and all the merchandise. And so as a little kid, that was awesome. They had all the action figures, the comic books and just everything you couldn't escape kiss you know from you know from like 96 to, to 2000 you couldn't escape kiss they were fucking everywhere and so it was a good time for me as a kid to get into them and it was my first concert i saw them on the farewell tour so i was lucky enough i got to see uh the, the original four members and uh they just been a big part of my life they opened the floodgates for me when it came to my love of hard rock and uh, heavy metal music Obviously, it's kind of my love of Kiss has tapered off through the years just because of what a joke they become in recent years. With you know Paul Stanley, you know can't sing, he keeps going out there, and then he keeps making an ass of himself with some of the shit he says, and you know. But nothing will take away my love of like you know those classic albums and like the classic performances. Uh, but yeah, I mean I love Kiss. They're a reason. They're the reason I'm into music as much as I am today. Uh, you know, I may not like them as much anymore, but they're still a huge part of my life, and those classic albums I can still listen to, and I just enjoy the fuck out of them. And sadly, we're not talking about one of those classic albums. Well, when you were, by the time the reunion tour was going on, and you were like a diehard Kiss fan, at that point, did you have all their albums? Did you have this album? By 2000, um, I didn't have all the albums yet, but I had most of them. As a kid, I was kind of like obnoxious. I was like an obnoxious, you know, because I'm like a little kid. I only like the makeup ones and the the non makeup albums. I really didn't give a chance to, except for Asylum. I liked Asylum because you're listening with your eyes. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that was because too. My mom had my mom. I think I was in first grade. My mom bought Kiss Exposed on VHS, and she was watching it. I came home while she was watching it. And they had the I Love It Loud, the part where they're showing the I Love It Loud music video. And so I watched that, and they had all the songs from Asylum on it, and that's what made me give the album Asylum a chance. And I really loved it, and obviously, Who Wants to Be Lonely is my favorite Kiss song of all time, uh, still to this day. Um, but I remember she had she had the three non-makeup albums my mom and dad owned was Asylum, Kiss Alive 3, which I liked listening to Kiss Alive 3 because it had... Uh, it had like a lot of the classic 70s songs on there, and it also had uh, the Star Spangled Banner, which, for whatever fucking reason, as a little kid, Star Spangled Banner was like one of my all-time favorite fucking songs. I don't know why, so I was like, oh, sweet, Kiss is playing it? You know, this is awesome. <laughs> and uh, she had Hot in the Shade, and for the longest time, I didn't even think Hot in the Shade was a, a Kiss album, because it didn't have the Kiss logo on the front. And uh, I avoided it for a while because I thought, oh, this looks kind of stupid. Like, they look lame. Uh, like I said, I was a dumb kid, like, who... Well, actually, I was a smart kid for avoiding <laughs> this album. But I was kind of dumb because there was a lot of non-makeup stuff I didn't give a chance to for the longest time because I was so obnoxious about, well, if they don't got the makeup, it's probably not good, yeah. you know? But yeah, my, this is one of the, the non-makeup albums my mom had. And, uh, whew, it's it's got great songs on it. 
but god damn, it's just there's too many songs on there and there's too much filler. If this would have been a ten track album, it probably could have been really good and been a good recovery from that atrocity that is Crazy Nights. But uh, oh man, this is a a long painful listen listening to this album today to get ready for this review. No, I definitely like it more than you. It's made me retard. <laughs> it has made me retarded. And like, I mean, I, in a tech, technical sense, and not being offensive, <laughs> like there's retardation in my brain, and and people should be respectful of me because I have a handicap. You know? <laughs> I I'm mentally handicapped after listening to this album. Holy shit, it's bad. <laughs> but I don't know. Maybe uh, somehow uh, I grew. This is. I think. Let's just say we both agree. Obviously, any sane person would agree that there's way too many songs on this oh, album. Too many songs. <laughs> That's the biggest problem with this album. It's 15 songs. It's the longest Kiss album ever. Single album. If you're not like counting double live albums, it's the longest running Kiss album. And I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll put it this way. I think if they cut it down to 12 songs, it would have been a good rebound from Crazy Nights and an average album. If, this they, is cut, a, if they cut it down to 10 songs, I actually think it'd be a good album. I this, think, it, yeah. I think it'd is, be even better than that. This is my analogy for the album. It's like, imagine being a part of an orgy and there's like five of the hottest chicks you know in this orgy, but then there's like fucking 20 men it's like, it's like, man, those those four chicks are really hot, but then there's like, I, I don't want to be in this orgy with like 20 other dudes, like the ratio's way off, you know, that's that's my comparison of this album, it's an orgy with four really hot chicks, but then there's like 20 dudes to drown it out, so it ruins the experience a little bit. In, in my scenario, the, those four or five hot women are Gene Simmons songs, and the dudes are, <laughs> are all Paul Stanley. <laughs> well, let me tell you something, Eric. If I was involved in an orgy, I'd love it to just be all men. Okay, Paul Sam oh. would never say that. <laughs> he would do it, but he wouldn't say it. <laughs> hey, sometimes you gotta take a couple dicks to get to the girls, you know? <laughs> uh, okay, yeah, let's just jump into this. Yeah, right? let's, let's jump into this. 15 songs. And I think we should spend at least five minutes on each song, so that's going to be a long video. <laughs> Holy shit! Oh wait, yeah. not video. It's not, it's not video. It's a what do you call it? Uh, 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 podcast. <laughs> podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. The the episode where Eddie lost his mind. <laughs> yeah. Oh uh, man. So Ed, why, why, Ed, or, uh, I'm gonna call you Eduardo because I love that nickname Ian gave you, Eduardo. Uh, Something about just rolls off the tongue. Oh, fuck. Why don't you take the first song, Rise to It? Alright, Rise to It. Okay, I got I got a few things to say about Rise to It. Okay, no. so it's off. Obviously, this is the late 80s, where that whole getting back to the roots in the blues, you know, the <laughs> blues, all these cracker fucking hair metal guys, <laughs> like, getting back to the Delta, because that's what they were all about. They were all about the blues, you know. Anyway, so... Like Cinderella, like a lot of those groups, they all they, they do the bluesy opener. You know, you got the little acoustic. I mean, this pretty much is just a flat out rip off of um, Cinderella's album, uh, Long Cold Winters, uh, where it opens up the bluesy thing. Anyway, and then it kicks in. It's actually Paul Stanley doing slide guitar. Not horrible. I mean, it's not nothing that Joe Perry or Jimmy Page, you know, got a loose sleepover. But you know, it's like passable slide guitar. And it's a, it's an all right song. It's the third single you know, from the album, 
And, you know, it's all right. It's an all right kind of cock rock late 80s song. Nothing special. In my opinion, there were better choices as a third single than this song. But it's all right. I don't even think it's necessarily the best album opener, but I kind of understand why. You know, in a 12-song version of this album, it would probably make the cut. I don't know if it would make the cut in the 10-song version I hear in my head. But it's an all right song. I think one thing that would have made this song better is if Gene sang it. Now, I will say that more often than not when it comes to his songs, because I just like Gene's voice better than Paul's. But especially for a song like this, because it's like bluesier, and I just feel like Gene, Gene has that, you know, raspier, growlier voice, you know, that I just think works better with a song like this. Like, Paul's just not selling me on... That he's like a down and dirty bluesy guy, you know. He just he mm-hmm. sounds he sounds silly, you know, trying to sing a song like this. It, it's not Paul Stanley. Like, he could do the more kind of anthemic or glam rock kind of songs. Like I think Paul Stanley could pull off songs like that, you know, even kind of pseudo little funky songs, you know, uh, things like that, you know, like you know. But a bluesy, a kind of down and dirty blues song. I just feel that you know you either would want like Peter Chris if he was still in the band, or Gene Simmons. Eric Carr probably could have pulled this song off too. Eric Carr. Eric Carr has a great voice, and we'll we'll talk about that later and way later in this episode. Better too. So yeah, I just think this song it's just an average song that could have been elevated by another member of the band singing it instead of Paul. So that's that's my thoughts on Rise to it. What do you think? Oh man, we'll rise to it. I like to when this song plays, I like to rise up out of my seat and uh, hit the skip button because this song fucking blows. What a horrible way to start off the album. Uh, and this is like that song, like much like in uh, there's another uh, much like Crazy Nights where everyone talks about like oh that album sucks, but I like I'll fight hell to hold you. This is like the I'll fight hell to hold you where like everyone that hates this album always seems to like this song, and I just don't fucking get it because this song blows. Uh, it's just terrible. I don't even think Gene's vocals could save this fucking song. It's just horrible. And, and it does. It begins with that Cinderella ripoff. Uh, you know, Cinderella started doing the whole blues thing with Long Cold Winter, which, uh, you know, that was kind of when I stopped really liking Cinderella. I love the night songs when they started doing the bluesy shit. And I don't know if it was GNR or Cinderella that started that whole thing because GNR was doing more stripped down bluesier like rolling stones 70s aerosmith type rock and roll uh but then cinderella was doing it too and it became popular so i don't know who started that trend i think it's i'd say it's guns and roses but also because keep in mind at this time aerosmith was having their big comeback yeah that's true and i mean and uh aerosmith was using desmond child to write songs for them which kiss had desmond child writing songs for him on this album and like many others uh but yeah, I mean, it's just like that horrible fucking... It just sounds out of place, too. Like, it just doesn't sound like it belongs in the in the song, really. It's not something Kiss would really do, and it doesn't really fit with the rest of the song. Cause it's not a bluesy song, really. It's just your typical, you know, you know, jock rock bullshit. You know, it's not bluesy at all. It's like they just tacked it on, like, Oh, guys, Long Cold Winter just came out, and it's doing pretty damn good. Let's throw a... Just do some slide guitar and throw it at the beginning of the album. They should have leaned into the sexiness. Like, remember uh, your orgasmic girl at the beginning of our intro? Which you can still yeah. hear. You hear just her for a split second now. But yeah, in the yeah. earlier intros, you heard her, let's just say, more of her. <laughs> yeah. Should, they rise to it should have began with that, like a crescendoing yeah. orgasmic lady. And then when the song kicked in, you would have been like, fuck yeah, let's rise to it. Hell yeah. 
But they didn't but, do that. Uh, Instead, we got bluesy acoustic guitar bullshit. And then we had the video too, which uh, you know it showed Kiss kind of teasing, like bringing the makeup back as well. Because uh, you should have liked at that. This time, you should, you, that should have made you happy. Uh, young Eric would have been like, "Wow, they're putting the makeup back on." Kiss are good I think again. I saw this video like. <laughs> I forget when I saw this video, but it was like way after I had heard this album already. Um, so the makeup thing was cool, but it just didn't do anything for me. And uh, man, like you want this is like the video. This video pissed off so many kiss kiss cards, and I love that because yeah, the whole they're wearing the wrong costumes and shit. Oh, like yeah, Gene's wearing like that. his unmasked outfit. Paul's wearing the love gun costume. But it says backstage 1975. <laughs> it shows so- you that Gene and Paul put as much thought into Kiss as I do. Yeah. <laughs> I think, and after that, you know they had to, like, start being more accurate because they realized how fucking obnoxious the Kiss fans are. They're like, Jesus, these motherfuckers know everything because so many people complained about it. Uh, yeah, it's just, I don't know, the video, even that couldn't save it. And it's funny that they did that because I believe it was around this time when they kind of started thinking about possibly like bringing Ace back and maybe going back to the makeup. Uh, from, that's just from what I've heard, you know, rumors and everything. So they were like testing the waters maybe a little bit. Yeah, so I have a feeling this video was them kind of testing the waters and everything. Because, I mean, Kiss were, contrary to what they may say, like all this, you know, Monday morning quarterback bullshit, as Bill Wang always says, uh, I mean... Kiss was really not doing too well. You know, Kiss, you know, Paul Stanley especially will always try and tell you how successful they were doing at this time without the makeup, but they really were hurting. And they're pretty much on the verge of, like, needing to do something like a reunion to to make some money. Well, let me tell you something there, Eric. Kiss was doing just as successful without the makeup, and we never needed Ace or Peter to succeed. It's all about me and Gene. Well, not even Gene, because Gene was just fucking off making movies and being in Hollywood. <laughs> I was the one steering the ship, and I had lots of seamen around me helping steer the <laughs> ship, but it wasn't Gene. So Kiss was doing just as successful, so you can stop with that hate. Rise to it is a great song, people! <laughs> That's great. And it's a great segue into... <laughs> an awesome Gene song. Oh Jesus! Okay, I'll let you take it then. That's kind of a shock. Yeah. Oh my God. Oh, you're gonna get shocked, all right. Man. Oh. Yeah, yeah, man. You can get educated on the the fact that this album is so much better than fucking Crazy Nights because there ain't songs like this on Crazy Nights. And I mean, listen, this is an awesome song, man. How could this is betrayed by Gene, you know, Gene Simmons and yeah, Tommy Thayer. <laughs> Fake freely himself. The spaghetti he man. He co-wrote two songs on this album. And I, hey, and this song is my favorite goddamn song on the album. Holy shit. Yeah, take that, Eric. What? You've just been betrayed. Good lord. I mean, I, I if you like it, that's one thing, but goddamn favorite song on the album? <laughs> Holy song, shit. Kills. What do you mean this is fucking class? Oh, it, let me tell you, this song. This song. This song betrayed my fucking eardrums. Holy yeah, shit. Eardrums need to fucking get that wax out of them. Oh, this song's fucking awesome. Oh, man. God. This, this, now, the production's very 80s, but to me, this is just a straight-up... This could be, like, a, a 70s Kiss song. It's dark, it's meaty, 
I, you know, Gene sounds badass on it, and I love the uh, harmonies, uh, the chorus with uh, Paul singing back up. He sounds good in the chorus. You know, it just it just rocks, man. It's got this charging, passionate, furious groove to it. Yeah, that's right. Passionate, furious groove to it. Betrayed. It's short, three minutes and 38 seconds just gets in. It's everything that rise to it. Rise to it's the fucking poser shit. Poser shit. Betrayed is the, the real hard rock shit. Gene should fucking just... He doesn't need this Paul Stanley clown. I think this about most, most of his yeah, 80s stuff. Gene's 80s songs kick ass. And maybe he was coming in, you know, doing a movie or a TV show and just doing this every couple months. But man, he just fucking slayed it every couple months. This is a great rocker, man. It's just a ballsy, tough rocker. This is what Kiss should sound like. There, there should have been more songs like this on the next album, too. Because I'm going to say this right now. I think Hot and Shade is better than Revenge as well. Uh, it, Revenge has one really good song on it, Unholy. That's it. Everything yeah. else is pretty mediocre. So... I like Betrayed better than every song on Revenge with the exception of Unholy. And it's definitely better than every song from uh, Crazy Nights. And yeah, going on this, there's a couple other songs that come close, but this is definitely my favorite. To me, this is the real deal. This is straight up Gene Simmons, pissed off, misogynist, tough, hard rocker. I fucking love it. What's your goddamn problem in it? Oh, my problem is this band betrayed my fucking eardrums with this horrible song, and uh, Tommy Thayer's on it. Well, it makes sense because this is a mediocre. Tommy's not on it. He just helped co-write it. Well, he fucking co-write. That's bad enough because it sounds mediocre. It sounds like some mediocre black and blue Z sides. Holy shit! My 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 eardrums and and my heart was black and blue after hearing this song and. Oh my god, the electronic drums on this fucking really pissed me off. And apparently the studio they recorded at didn't have a real fucking drum set. So that's why on this whole album, you hear nothing but Remo drum pads. So not even Eric Carr can save this shit with these damn electronic drums. Oh, this song is just... And I, I'm with you with, like, I feel like Gene in the 80s is so underrated. I think he wrote some really great songs for a guy that was basically just phoning it in. But this is not one of them. This is where Gene was really phoning it in. This was some horrible shit. This is like, felt like let, we need more songs to fill up the album because this is the CD age. We can put more songs in here. Let's just throw this shit in here and just fill it up. My God, this song is just, it's just terrible for me. I just can't stand it. This is the reason why people hate Gene in the 80s so damn much. Ah, terrible, terrible song. I think Paul would even agree with me. Yeah, you know, Gene would just phone it in. I mean, Gene would come to me with these demos, and it was just basically scraps. It was just these scraps of horrible songs he wrote back in the day. It just, you know, I really carried this band throughout the 80s. I couldn't even save this shit. It was so terrible. Woo! Let's talk about Hide Your Heart. Hide Your Heart. Uh, one of the... Um... I'm looking. I'm looking. I'm Those scrolling. Damaged through. brain cells are already kicking in. Holy no, shit! I'm, I'm going to get this man some help. I'm scrolling, man. I, I thought Betrayed was the best song on this album even before. So it's not just because of my brain cells. It's just. But anyway, I'm looking through this. I'm just looking through this to see if there's a Paul Stanley song I like better than this song. Uh Yeah. Huh. It's funny when okay yeah I guess this is the second best Paul Stanley song on this album it's not it's not that hot 
<laughs> I don't think it's that great. I get why it was the lead-off single. It's all right. I prefer the Ace Freely version. Ooh, Jesus. Even that, I don't think is that great. I think that's like the weakest song on that album. Um, but uh, Trouble Walking, which is a really good album. I like oh, great album. album, except for his cover yeah. of this song. Yeah, I don't really like, but I like his jivey delivery, I think, fits the vibe. I would have, you know what I would have ideally liked, actually, this music, but with Ace's voice, like, you know. Because um, I, I think the productions, uh, although I agree with you for the most part, I don't like the drum sound, and I don't think this production is as punchy as it should be. It's a little weak. It's better than the, the Crazy Nights. It's a little rawer and you know less slick. But it definitely should be punchier and heavier sounding, this production. I agree with that. But I do think the song sounds a little fuller than the Ace version, which I thought the per- I just thought the song sounded kind of um, thin, his version, the music. But... I don't know. Paul, Paul's all right singing it, I guess, but I don't know. It's all right. It sounds a little contrived. It's an all right song. It's one of his better songs. I guess it would make the cut in the tighter version. But yeah, I liked it a lot as you know as a preteen. But it's not a song that I think aged really well. It's it's all right. You know, that's all I can say. It's an all right kind of Paul Stanley song. But I don't know. It doesn't seem like he you know he needed help from Desmond Child and Holly Knight to write this song. Just yeah, like, he was getting a lot of help from the from uh, Desmond Child, especially uh, in the '80s. Back in the '70s, you know, Paul Stanley could write songs like this very easily by himself. What happened? What happened, Paul Stanley? Paul Stanley of Kiss. What happened to you? Anyway, hey, hey, I, hey, I'm a brilliant songwriter, <laughs> but Desmond Child, I just, I, you know, when I'm trying to write songs, I need him for inspiration. <laughs> you know, me and him like to hang out a lot at my place. And so, you know, he helps me out with my songs, but I, I just can't not give him credit. So, so what do you think of Hide Your Heart, which you probably like better than Betrayed? Oh, Hide Your Heart. I, um, I actually really... And it's one of those things, I know this is a bad song and a cheesy, like, just horrible song, but I like it. It's catchy. Um, you know, I'm not afraid to admit I, I enjoy this song. Uh, it's really good. And, man, there's, like... Just some kind of like Ripley's Blee or Not shit where like 50 fucking bands did a version of this song <laughs> all around the same time. You had Bonnie Tyler and fucking Molly Hatchet for God's sakes. And uh, obviously Ace Fraley did like a version of this song. And uh, man, I hate that Ace version. And I, I love Ace Fraley, but you know, I, I'm not a fan of his voice. Um, I like his voice for like, you know, a song here and there, like, you know, on the Love Gun album when he does like Shock Me, you know, it's cool. But man, I just I can't tolerate a whole album just full of his vocals. I've never been a fan of his voice. Um, and he, he absolutely just cannot sing the song. It sounds it, it's more cringy when he sings it, especially the the horrible like uh na 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 hey 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 oh, dude. I hate that part of the song. That's the only part I hate of the song. It's so cringy. That's the Bon Jovi part. Like, oh my god, yeah, that's, that's even Bon Jovi. Even Bon Jovi would be embarrassed by that shit. It's so, it's just so cringy. And yeah, Paul Stanley at this time was really trying to be Bon Jovi. Yeah, you know, he's trying to be this uh, hairy chested uh, Jewish uh, Bon Jovi, and it just was not working. <laughs> Hey, yeah, this, you and me, it's probably on Kiss. We're very. This is where you and I have some of the um, our most divulgent opinions. Yeah, <laughs> I love Ace's voice. Like, yeah, he can't really sing, but he just sounds cool, man. It's just cool. It's rock I and just, roll. I can't. I I think he's got a cool voice, but I just I can't stand full albums of his voice. And there's That's just fun. certain songs I feel he just shouldn't sing. 
Like, I like him for a song or two on an album, but, like, not for a full album. Um, yeah, but I, I like this song. And, uh, holy shit, Gene Simmons, uh, what is with Gene Simmons and crying in music videos? Because there's that real dramatic <laughs> part at the end of the video where he's just, he's holding, he's, like, standing in front of the ambulance where, like, the, <laughs> the two characters in the music video, like, they died. And he's looking at them, he closed the ambulance door, and there's a fog machine for whatever fucking reason. This motherfucker turns around and he just starts crying like, what has the world come to? What's going on with our youth? You know? It's, <laughs> it's so cheesy and just so dumb. He's um, got feelings, man. He's, he's, he's got, got some, feelings. yeah, for a demon, he's got some hardcore feelings. He, he was probably crying, he was probably crying at the financial state of the band at this moment. Holy shit. Um... But yeah, that, and the video is just so so cheesy because this is one of them. This is one of those tell a story songs, which uh, that was usually like then. yeah, which Bon Jovi was doing, and like the only people that re- the only guy that ever really did a tell a story song like the correct way was Mr. Philip Lynott from Thin Lizzy. Uh, as much as I like the song, Paul, you are no Phil Lynott. You know this shit's cheesy. Like, come on, Tito, King of the Streets, get the fuck out of here. A guy with a name Tito is not going to be like the leader of the streets or the toughest gang. He's he's the guy that's going to get his ass kicked. I'm sorry, <laughs> but a name like that, come on. Yeah. Okay, so let's move on to Prisoner of Love. Now, Prisoner of Love. Now, this, like what you said about Betrayed, I'll say uh-huh. about this song. <laughs> okay, Prisoner of Love. It's. It's alright, it's the weakest Gene song, in my opinion, easily. I pretty much, I like every other Gene song. But this song, eh, it's alright. I don't hate it, but it's filler. It's obvious filler, it doesn't need to be on the album. It's it's one of those songs I kind of forget what it sounds like while listening to it. It's not that memorable, you know, but I like, this is the thing. Sometimes it comes down to the singer's voice, if you like it or not. Like, that's the thing. If... I like Gene's voice. In fact, I love Gene's voice. He's my favorite singer in Kiss. And so even a mediocre track like this that I forget what it sounds like while I'm listening to it, I do, I'm enjoying it more while I'm listening to it because it's got Gene's voice. It's Gene's voice. There's some distorted guitars underneath him. Then you're kind of halfway there for me, you know? But it just doesn't have that extra melodic push to make it memorable or something that's worth being on the album, in my opinion. Although I still probably like it better than half the songs on uh, Crazy Nights of Revenge. But, nothing special. It's filler. What do you think of it? Oh god, Prisoner of Fucking Love. This song makes me, this song makes me feel like a prisoner in a Turkish fucking prison like Billy Hayes from Midnight Express. <laughs> this song fucking blows. And uh, you're saying it's better than Betrayed? I mean, this song and Betrayed are basically like the same fucking no, no. song with different titles. No Holy shit. You are tripping. Betrayed is on such a higher level level than this oh, song. Oh, God. I'm That's what, 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 saying the shit I took today smells better than the shit I took uh, you know, last night. You're still, you're still sniffing shit, you know? Holy man. fuck. I'm gonna, we're going to have to create a poll, man. We will, oh, I'm going to get this some people is, backing me on the Betrayed thing. I think Paul Stanley would even agree with me. Yeah, you know what, this song, I mean, this might as well be the same song as Betrayed. If it's got Gene Simmons in the writing credits, you know it's not going to be a worthwhile song. <laughs> I'm sorry, Gene, but I'm the real genius in this band. Uh, speaking of which, the next song, which oh, uh, no. the, the genius uh, co-wrote, he could even write it on his own, uh, is, in my opinion, the worst Kiss song oh. ever. Oh, now, yes, that's yes. Say, that's saying a lot. Because that is. 
Kiss has written some really bad songs. <laughs> Even those songs are like Stairway to Heaven or Highway Star Nothing. compared to this fucking song. Holy I, shit. I like this album, like I said, better than Revenge. I like it better than Crazy Nights. I like it better, better than Carnival Souls. It kind of is neck and neck with Sonic Boom, depending on the week I'm listening to it. Uh, and I like it better than the Gene Simmons solo album, which is crazy considering Gene Simmons is my favorite singer for that fucking album. Oh, we'll have to talk about that sometime. <laughs> but, that all being said, none of those albums, including the Gene Simmons solo album, has a song as bad as Read My Body. Read My, my Fucking Body is the that- worst song Kiss ever did. Just that fucking title is bad enough. You know you're going to have a shitty song. It's this this album title, this track title doesn't mislead you at all. Oh, no. It's telling you you're about to listen to a <laughs> shitty song. It perfectly sets it up. In fact, the only thing I could say I like about the song is it so absurdly delivers the badness of Read My Body that it's almost genius. They should have called this song they should have called this song Press the Skip Button. It, this is like straight. This is Final Tap shit, but they're not in on the joke. Yeah, for real. <laughs> Paul wrote this song like as a serious attempt to try and get big. Yeah. Oh my god! The only thing big about this song is how big, uh, what a big dumbass song this is. It's this obviously is yeah, yeah. They were trying to sound like pour some sugar on me. Yeah, that, it hits you immediately. You hear this and go, okay. Paul's trying to have his pour some sugar on me. Obviously, though, someone at the record label, someone had sense to say, no, this is not good. Don't release a video for this. Don't release this. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so good for that. Whoever that person was. Some, some A&R guy got in the way of Paul Stanley and his imaginary hit song <laughs> and the public and saved the public from, from a video from Prisoner of Love. Oh, uh, yeah. I, I mean, read my body. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> Oh my god, read my body. It's hilarious. Now, even put the X in sex, it's better than this song. Oh, light years better than this fucking song. Light (laughs) years better. better. I even take the fucking stupid Ringling Brothers and Paul Stanley Circus fucking song that was on that Smashes Thrashes album. This makes, over this one. This makes Fanfare sound like God of Thunder. Oh my god, <laughs> yeah. At least Fanfare's like, what, like 13 seconds? This song feels like a goddamn lifetime. Like, no thank you, Paul. I don't want to read your fucking body. I don't want to see the message you shaved into your chest hair. My <laughs> god. I bet that I think something about this song just sounds like chest hair personified. Oh, as a song. yeah. <laughs> like, this is some creep, like... John Bon Jovi, like, as much as I shit on the guy, he was, you know, no homo. He was a good-looking dude with the hair and chest. Paul Stanley's, like, the guy that sees Bon Jovi and tries to be him, but he just comes off as that creepy uncle that's trying to be the sexy dude and does not fucking work. He's the dude that gets killed by Jason, like, midway through the film that's trying to get laid but doesn't. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Oh, my God. (laughs) And oh, that stupid, like those stupid Casio keyboard drum sounds at the beginning are horrible. It's so horrible. Oh my god. The thing is, like, pour some sugar on me. I don't like that song. Oh, I actually, you know what the funny thing is? I actually love that song, and I I really don't like the stereo album, but I love that song for whatever reason. I think it's catchy, and. 
one of the only two songs I like off Hysteria. But we this song is just terrible because Paul Stanley trying to do a fucking shitty version of it. Houston, we have a problem. You like fucking Force and Children. Hey, you like fucking Betrayed, motherfucker. Betrayed is a fucking ballsy, dark, hard rock song. It's not oh. a pop dance song for drunk white chicks. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, at least at least pour some sugar on me. Makes chicks want to take their clothes off. But like any girl that listens to "Read My Body" or "Betrayed" puts their clothes back on. Hey, listen, "Betrayed" not for the bitches. It's for the men. The men have been betrayed by the bitches. It's like the men at the <laughs> bathhouse listen to "Betrayed." Oh my hey, god! Man, hey, there's some hot rocking in the bathhouse. Oh god! <laughs> at least they're listening to Judas Priest and not fucking "Betrayed." Okay, we could, at least we can all agree that "Read My Body" sucks. All right. Uh, it, it, <laughs> you know what's funny? I was looking at this CD because sadly, as sad as my life is, I own a copy of this on CD. I was looking at the <laughs> booklet, and they actually had like a little like a message in there, like in the like near the thank you section, like warning against like HIV and AIDS and the <laughs> practice safe <laughs> sex. Uh, yeah, this fucking song will give you HIV or AIDS. It's so fucking shitty. Oh my god. Wait, I got. I, I, now that you brought that up, and this is the perfect, perfect song to bring that up. Wait, what's the exact thing it says? Uh, the, oh yeah, AIDS ain't AIDS isn't um, AIDS ain't no party people. <laughs> Listening to this album is no fucking. Party. <laughs> no, this one it says exactly. I'm reading it now on Wikipedia. Uh, it says AIDS is no party. <laughs> AIDS oh, is no party people. Well, let me tell you something. This song is amazing. This song had so many people having sex that if we had to warn against safe. We had to make sure people knew about safe sex. This is a sexy song. Yeah, maybe not a lot of women want to participate when this song's playing, but a lot of the men want to get sexy when they hear this song. Obviously, Woo! they needed to put that message because of this yeah song because people would get AIDS listening to it. <laughs> oh God! This whole album, like most of this album, will give you AIDS. Jesus, Evan, why don't you take the net? But I, I don't even want to keep talking about this horrible fucking song. <laughs> you go to loves a slap in the fucking face like this. This album's a slap in the oh, face. Oh man, this is where we're really gonna get into it. Oh. Shit. <laughs> <laughs> okay, this is where we're gonna get into it because. I, I will make a case for Betrayed. I'm saying that other headbangers, I'm pretty sure, will have my back on that. Because that's a badass hard rock tune. Now, no, very few people are going to have my back now, though. <laughs> oh, God. I love this song. I love Love's a Slap in the Face. And I know I shouldn't. I know I shouldn't. I know it's a shitty song. But <laughs> it's catchy. I like it. <laughs> and again, it's just got a nice, sneaky kind of groove to it. It's got a nice, sneaky kind of groove to it. And I like Gene's kind of strutting. He's just kind of strutting and singing it in a jivey way. I like the title. Love's a slap in the face, man. You know, it's tough. You know, you get knocked around by love a bit. and But you still got to keep standing. You got to keep on strutting and keep... Okay, keep still being a cool dude, you know? Even when the ladies break your heart. Gene gets that. I love this song. I'd say it's probably my fourth or fifth favorite song on the album. It's no Betrayed, but it's still oh. a really good song. And even, I'm, I'm not a fan of the na-na-na's either, but they're a little bit better when Gene's got the lead na-na-na rather than Paul having the lead na-na-na. Oh, <laughs> It's a little sneakier, and even if there's a little touch of Jovi-ish, you know, 
not, you know, it, there's a little bit of a Bon Jovi thing to this song too, but not as much as uh, Hide Your Heart in my opinion. And it's sneaky, it's sexy, I dig it. I know I shouldn't, but I dig it. And now you're going to shit all over it, so go ahead. Oh, God. Well, I had to step away for five seconds. I had to put a condom on because I can feel the HIV kicking in as I'm Ooh. talking about this fucking album. Good Lord. Uh, fucking, yeah, loves a slap in the sp- this loves a slap in the face. This whole album and this band is just slapping me in the face right now. And this is horrible. This is Gene <laughs> doing what Paul has been doing, like, you know, the past couple albums and trying to be Bon Jovi was nah, 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 nah. Oh, my God. And this is Gene, man. This is Gene, the guy who, like, actually was the one saving grace of Kiss in the 80s. And now he's just doing exactly what fucking Paul's doing. And he didn't need to because he was writing amazing songs before. Uh, that's all I got to say about this song because it's it's very forgettable. Uh, it's just so goddamn terrible. Oh, Jesus! <laughs> Let's just go to forever. Okay, forever. The best Paul Stanley song on this album, in my opinion. And I only kind of like it. I don't really like it that much, but it's all right. It's pretty. It's a pretty song. I get why it was a hit. I like the little acoustic guitar solo, which is very reminiscent of like a Jimmy Page acoustic yep. guitar solo doing during a ballad. Uh, and Paul sings it all right. You know who would have sang it better? Peter Chris, Catman. Ooh, that's actually yeah. a good point. He yeah, sang it pretty good. He would have really brought out this Rod Stewart quality to it. Would have been nice and you know, very soulful. I would have liked that version. But you know, Paul, he's he's handling it. I'll I'll give I'll give Harry Chest Paul some credit. He's handling it, his shit. And, you know, Michael Bolton co-wrote a nice song with him. It's a nice, pretty song. You need, like, a... It's nice to have one nice, pretty song, you know, amid all the cock rock. You know, you gotta have one song like this. It's all right. It's all right. It's not. It's nothing to, you know, write home about. But it's all right. It might sound nice during a wedding or something. It's a nice little pretty song, and you know, I that's that's all I gotta say. It's all it's an all right song. So there, Paul, you you wrote an all right ballad. It broke the top ten. No, it still didn't help this album <laughs> sell a lot of copies. Yeah, this album went double platinum. I don't care what anyone says. This album was a hit. This song was a hit, and I wrote this song. Michael Bolton just came up with one word. I mean, I, I just put his name on there just to be nice, but I, I wrote this song myself. <laughs> and no, I don't need Peter Chris to sing my damn song. <laughs> I'm sure the maxi CD single of this sold more than Hot in the Shade. But, <laughs> but uh, yeah, but that's what I got. So what do you think? What do you think of Forever? Forever. Uh, man, uh, my parents, uh, when they got married, uh, they danced to this song at their wedding. Uh, and then they conceived me uh, while listening to uh, Don't Treat Me Bad by Firehouse, and that's kind of why I'm so <laughs> fucked up. Uh, but all seriousness aside, I actually do love this fucking song. <laughs> but I had to make a joke about that. It is like, it's it's like a heart, 80s heart ballad. It's your stereotypical 80s cock rock power ballad, but I like it. It's fucking catchy. Um, you know, and I love the acoustic solo. It reminds me of the solo in All of My Love by Led Zeppelin, which is... Yeah. Even though I'm not the biggest Zeppelin fan, I love that song, and that's one of my favorite parts of it is that acoustic solo. And so the solo in here is very reminiscent of that. Um, I, I love the song, man. It's just it's beautiful, it's catchy. Um, you know, it's one of the Paul Stanley actually kind of hit it out of the park with this one. There's a reason it's a big hit because it's it fucking rules. It's catchy. 
you know, this is some shit you play for your for your wife or your girlfriend, you know, that you can enjoy that you know they'll probably like. I, I fucking love it, man. Great fucking song. Thank you, Michael Bolton, for helping write a fucking amazing Kiss song. Michael Bolton of all fucking people. Who would have known? You know, I was thinking about this the, uh, today while listening to this song and not hating it. And I was thinking, you know, we have this idea that Michael Bolton sucks because we grow up thinking that. And it's a thing like people make jokes, you know, Michael Bolton sucks. But what if I'm just I'm just throwing it out there as a concept. And this is not based on any knowledge of his music whatsoever. What if he didn't suck? Just think about that. He used to, you know, the funny thing was he used to be like he did hard rock. I mean, he, not, I wouldn't call it metal, but he did like hard rock, like cock rock in the 80s before he like became an adult contemporary artist yeah. uh you know yeah. I, i've listened to some of his albums not not like really my cup of tea but uh you know it's pretty interesting hearing him go from like a cock rock artist to like you know doing like you know this this adult contemporary shit but you know, uh, I, I i like this idea thinking about it now i like this idea that there's this like big dude with like a mane of blonde hair wearing big sports jackets singing like blue-eyed soul songs i kind of like that idea I might have to. Oh, yeah, you hate Joe Cocker though. <laughs> hey, hey, because Joe Cocker's a fucking dirty hippie on the fucking corner. Oh, fuck it. Thank you for some change. Fuck Mike, Michael Bolton. Michael Bolton's like shark. He's wearing like jackets and stuff. He looks clean and you know, like he's gonna take hey, a lady. Michael Bolton look. Michael Bolton looks like that like creepy <laughs> like weird guy that your mom starts dating after like she gets divorced with your dad. He like is really suspect. He's got to put his hair in a ponytail and take a lady out to, like, a nice restaurant, you know? And then maybe treat a waiter like shit, but, you know. <laughs> he would be that kind of guy. <laughs> but, uh, but you know, and then he comes back and he makes love to you on, a, like, a black leather sofa in a very contemporary apartment. <laughs> <laughs> and, I don't know, I like the idea of this. I don't know. I feel like... I feel like I might become a Michael Bolton guy. I'm going to do a deep My, dive. Michael Bolton is like the first guy to probably put himself in the friend zone. Like, how can we be lovers if we can't be friends? <laughs> he put his he put his own self in the friend zone. He was about to get laid. And he's like, no, baby, let's be friends first. What the fuck? It's a tactic, man. He's the ultimate player. <laughs> he's, he's doing that. He's, it's like a hard negotiation. You remove yourself off the table. It drives the ladies nuts. They go, oh, my God. <laughs> He just put himself in the friend zone. I gotta fuck this guy. Because I didn't do it. He took control away from the woman and became a super pimp. He's a super big padded jacket vanilla super pimp. Uh, I might have to get into Michael Walton. I don't know. I might listen to a song of his and then be like, no, this is shit. <laughs> I'm a, I'm a, like, right as we're talking about this, once forever ends, I'm going to play some Michael Bolton underneath us right now. So you'll be hearing the sweet sounds of Michael Bolton, the sweet, sexy, sultry sounds of Michael Bolton. <laughs> anyway, so this, this is all I'm thinking while I'm listening forever. Like, it's three minutes and 52 seconds, and I'm contemplating if I'm going to become a Michael Bolton guy or not. <laughs> <laughs> I'll have to change all my furniture. I'll have to get black leather sofas and silver lamps and <laughs> and, and like uh, pastel contemporary art and vertical <laughs> slats. <laughs> okay, enough with Michael Bolton. You yeah, know what? Let's not talk about Michael Bolton. Let's talk about silver spoons. Or you know what? Spoon. Silver spoon. Not to be confused with the TV show. The amazing spoon. TV show. You know what's crazy about this fucking album? Still side A! Jesus Christ! We still haven't flipped this bitch over. How is this not a double album? Oh, it's CDH, that's why. 
Yep. Yeah, that's essentially two fucking albums. If you got to the eighth song and then it's done, that means the album's done normally. That's like, it's done, eight songs. But no, there's another album after this. So essentially, this is a double album, you know. This really is a double album. All right, so anyway, Silver Spoon. Uh, I guess the second best Paul Stanley song on the album. Uh, not that great. It's all right. It, it's probably a little bit better than Prisoner of Love, but I just like Gene's voice better. It's all right. It's an all right song. Peter Chris would have made it better. And I wouldn't mind the, the girl backup singers that show up at the end. What, what are they called? <laughs> Wait, they're the Sisters of No Mercy. Oh, I thought it was the fucking Pointer Sisters. <laughs> the Sisters <laughs> of No Mercy. <laughs> <laughs> I laugh uh, my ass off when that part comes in because it's just so out of nowhere. I never see it coming. <laughs> you should have to point your sister play while <laughs> instead of Silver Spoon. <laughs> <laughs> it's so. I still remember the first time I heard this as a as a preteen. And I one thing I do like about this song is sometimes you'll hear a song and it doesn't like. You don't have the same reaction you had to it when you were young, you know? You lost that feeling of what it was like when you first heard this song. And I never lose that feeling. Every time I hear this song and those fucking singers show up suddenly out of nowhere at the end, it always <laughs> takes me aback. I always it go, does. I always go, what the fuck are those chicks they doing? Just pearl har- <laughs> they Pearl Harbor you. You just don't see it coming. <laughs> Some ninja fucking shit. <laughs> don't see them coming. And it's just like, what was the point? It's literally a fucking fade out measure. It's like, why just bring these ladies in just to sing some shit in the in the fade out? It's it's like the the girls that did the background vocals for tomorrow and tonight were still under contract for one more song, and they came back to Paul with some like court ordered bullshit. Like, you need to include us on one more song, asshole. He's like, fuck. <laughs> He slaps uh, this shit. He copies and pastes that, that shit on there at the end of this song. Oh, uh, it's, it's horrible. It's horrible when they come in. Oh. But, again, I, I said this about tomorrow and tonight. You know, we got a different opinion because for some reason you're a guy who hates betrayed but loves tomorrow. And t- yeah, tomorrow and tonight's a good fucking. Song. It's horrible. It's shit. It's, it's a horrible song. Anyway, oh, it's a great uh, song. Betrayed's a horrible song. God oh, damn. Oh, betrayed fucking shits all over tomorrow and tonight. Oh. But anyway. Apples and oranges. But trade makes me have to take a shit. That shit gives me diarrhea. Hey, there's some good barbecue does that too, man. <laughs> <laughs> Let me tell you something about tomorrow. Well, like gas station sushi. <laughs> hey, nothing. For the record, I have nothing against uh, gas station sushi or Japanese <laughs> cold. <laughs> anyway, so Silver Spoon. Uh, if like like tomorrow tonight, if Peter Chris was singing it, you know this is the kiss. They were this band that had these two guys in it. You know, we, we touched upon this, but some KISS fans might know this, that Ace Frehley and Peter Chris were in this other lineup of KISS. And they sang songs on the albums. You know, it wasn't just Gene yep. and Paul all the time. And sometimes there'd be a song that, you know, Paul Stanley wouldn't sing, and it'd be great because there was like three other dudes that had cooler voices than him in the band. So it broke up Paul Stanley, which was good. That's what's great about 70s Kiss. But one of the problems is on Love Gun, Paul Stanley gets cocky and decides to sing more, one more song than he should on that album, and that's Tomorrow and Tonight. Oh, Peter Chris no, no. Paul needs to sing that fucking song. Oh, it's song's amazing. I feel the same thing about this song. Both these songs do not benefit from 
fucking Paul Stanley's corny ass vocals. But, oh. and, and they just don't work with backups, black backup singers or white women's trying to sound black. I don't know. Let's look at the, their names here. Wait, I'm going to try to figure this out. Because uh, I don't think there's some, there's a lot of archival footage from the from the recording of Hot in the Shade. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Let's, we, well, wait, we got one that actually has a fucking Wikipedia link. Charlotte Crosley. Let's check that out. Um, nicknamed Charlo. It's an American singer and actress. Oh, okay. All right. Oh, she, okay, she's probably black from looking at it. Yep. Yep, she got a 2005 NAACP Theater Award. There you go. Even without a picture, I knew. Okay, so this is legit. I take it back. I take it back. These are legit, legit sisters singing backup. And Holy that makes shit. it even work. It just, it does not work. Paul Stanley does not work with soul music. It's almost like, imagine if Paul Stanley in his later years did something really crazy, like record a whole album of soul covers. Like, imagine yeah. how bad that would be. They give a shitty name like Paul Stanley's Soul Station. Yeah, imagine if he did that. That would be horrible. That'd be <laughs> terrible. He'd butchering fucking amazing songs. And, and this is like, this is like maybe, this would be a foreshadowing for something Horrible like that if he ever did that in the future. <laughs> oh God! <laughs> what, do you, what do you think of Silver Spoon? You probably so, uh, unlike the unlike the amazing TV show. Uh, th- this song fucking blows. Rick, Ricky Schroeder should kick Paul Stanley's ass for naming the song Silver Spoon. Jesus Christ! And the sad thing is, though, I do like the only part of the song I like is the Pointer Sisters because it makes me laugh my ass off, and they actually <laughs> sing really good. Unlike Paul Stanley. And just the, the lyrics like, like my daddy's dead. And he's not talking about his father. When he says daddy, he's talking about Desmond Child. Holy <laughs> shit, the song blows. God damn, Silver Spoon. I like to shove a silver spoon up Paul Stanley's ass for writing a horrible song like this, but he'd probably enjoy it. <laughs> I, I definitely would enjoy that. That'd be really nice. I, I'd really love that. All right, before we flip this very heavy record Oh, we're over, finally flipping the album over? Was it like <laughs> track fucking 10? Yeah, I'm grabbing a beer. I'll be right oh, back. God, yeah, I'm, I'm going to grab another drink, too, as this song fucking blows. Let's play some Pointer Sisters while we take a quick break. Be right yeah, back. Yeah, here's the Pointer Sisters. You there, Eric? I'm here. And that was Sisters. And man, I, I'm really not excited about the second half of this fucking album, though. Well, I thought we like, need a Godfather like intermission. <laughs> yeah, we really do for this fucking album. Jesus Christ. Woo! Okay, it's still going. It's yeah. the beginning of the second side, side B, and it's the ninth song. Oh. All right. It feels like 20 songs have passed already. Jesus. Yeah, I just my whole life has flashed before my eyes. Yeah. And definitely have listened to more Kiss than I should have. Okay. Oh, like, you, like, not the good Kiss. You've been listening to, like, the bad Kiss. That's the problem, though. Once you get... Uh, this is the thing. This is the irony. Like, when I started with Hot in the Shade, 
you know, back in junior high, I heard Hot in the Shade. I was like, okay, I'm not going to listen to Kiss. I'm not going to be a Kiss fan. So I didn't for several years, you know. But this is the weird thing. So you'll have a gateway album that's not so hot. You know, no pun intended. That's so like me with Metallica. Yeah. My first Metallica album was fucking Reload. And I thought, and I heard so many good things about Metallica too. And I heard that album. I'm like, fuck this Metallica band. They fucking suck. Yeah, and for, like a year later, I heard like Ride the Lightning, like a real Metallica album. What, th- yeah, this is what, so it's funny how like you listen to a Gateway album and it'll keep you from listening to any of the albums. But then, uh, like you know, Rock and Roll Over, you listen to a good album or a great album. And suddenly, you, you know, you do the deep dive. And once you start getting into the deep dive, you get to a certain point. Once you like, I don't know what, there might be some equation here. But my thinking is if you like more than at least five to ten albums from a band, at least this is how I am, I tend to end up get. I end up getting all their albums, you know? Yeah. And it's kind of weird when you think about it. It's kind of weird when you think about, like, at some point, I'm buying like crazy nights and hot in the shade, only because of rock and roll over and creatures of the night and and like dress to kill and, and like hotter in hell. Like because these albums are so awesome, it makes me buy these albums that aren't awesome. It's kind of weird when you think about it because it wouldn't. It's not like the other way. Like what I'm getting at is shitty albums keep you from buying good albums, but good albums can lead you into buying shitty albums. <laughs> You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) It's like, like, I've listened to Crazy Nights more times than I would have if they didn't have a bunch of really good albums. Otherwise, it would just be like, why would I be listening to an album like that? (laughs) Like, I wouldn't listen to a Bon Jovi album, you know what I mean? But I'll, I'll listen to, like, a Kiss Bon Jovi album, like, maybe three or four times in my life, which... It, which I'm sure is not as much as a lot of Kiss tarts, but but to me, even, I think, why would I spend three or four, why would I spend that amount of time listening to a shitty late 70s glam metal album like that? Just yeah. because just because the dudes did some cool albums before that. I don't know, it's weird when you think about it. Anyway, leading <laughs> into that, it's like weird. Like, I was listening to, like, Hot in the Shade, and this album, you know, I think is much better than that album. But still, when I was listening to it, I was like, you know, I wouldn't be listening. If you had told Junior High Eddie that in, in the far-off future, you know, in 2022, as an adult, in his 40s, he'd be listening to Hot in the Shade all the way through. Like, fucking, you know, 13-year-old or 12-year-old Eddie would be like, that's fucking lame. Why, why would he listen to this fucking album? For real. <laughs> Jesus. But I'm embracing the absurdity of that. I like it. Anyway, yeah. and, and there's some awesome songs, like, betrayed on this album. So, anyway. <laughs> and, and, this is my segue. Cadillac. Cadillac Dreams, I love this song. Oh, we're actually on the the same page with this one. Okay, yeah, I want to hear what you say about this one, because, yeah, you may like what I say about this one, but let's go first, this is a Gene song. Yeah, let me tell you something. People, some Kiss fans might not like the rock and roll-y side of Kiss, you know, like the rock and roll side of Kiss, Yeah, that's actually a very real side Kiss. If you listen to their 70s shit... Especially the, or I'd say all the way from the first album to Love Gun, there's always a rock and rolly side to Kiss. Yeah, know, they, always. They, they love the Beatles and the Stones and you know all that kind of stuff. 
and it was a big part of their influence. So they, this was a side that you have really not heard from Kiss at all in the 80s. And to hear this side emerge a little bit, and especially with this song, like to me, Cadillac Dreams, it could have been on Love Gun, you know, or the first album. Oh, yeah. It, it, it's much like Secretly Cruel, where it's like, it's basically like a 70s Kiss song, but it, like, you know, it has all these like layers of like the 80s production and yeah. whatnot. Like, I could hear like a, a version, a maybe slightly different version of the song on one of the 70s albums. Yeah, it would have different production, like you said. But yeah, but I feel like, yeah, I could see them doing a, a flat out kind of rock and roll style song like this. And to me, it sounds very authentic and real. It sounds like this is the kind of shit that Gene Simmons does like to sing. Fucking Gene loves fucking money. Yeah, and yeah, he loves money. And that chorus, the money, money. Yeah, it's catchy. It's fun. Yeah, hell yeah. It's a, it's a catchy, fun rock and roll song gene sounds great it's different it's got a different flavor from a lot of the the rest of the album and it shows uh gene's versatility as a singer he could sing it does it's not all like darker hard rock and demon stuff he could sing a fun kind of beatles kind of rock and roll tune like this and it's got a got a good you know beat to it and riff and yeah i really love this out i love that i'm sorry love this uh song it's a great song i don't know if it's a great way to it's a, I wouldn't use it to be like the opening track for a side, although I'm sure they really weren't thinking of this as, you know, it was a CD at the time, so they didn't really think about this. There's a song later on that I think would have been a better opener. But anyway, but it's a good song. I like it. It's catchy. And what the hell's that? that that's my sister. <laughs> okay. And that's one of the backup singers from Silver Spoon. They, yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. So, Cadillac Dreams, we finally both like a Gene Simmons song. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I fucking love Cadillac Dreams. The song rules. And uh, it's funny because I, I was listening to, like, the Rock and Metal Combat podcast review of this. And uh, uh, Mr. Uh, the amazing TikTok man, he even said the same thing. He's like, this is like the closest you get to like a 70s sounding Kiss song. And like he was made fun for it, but I'm like, man, this, this sounds like a 70s Kiss song. Like it's, yeah, it's got the A's production, but it's like this could easily have been a song on like one of the earlier albums. And I love Gene singing about money because he's passionate about it. He loves money. Yeah. That man loves him some money. And he's, he doesn't hold back. It's cool. I even love, like, the, the guitar part. It's like, money, money. Like, I love that. It's just so cool. It's a catchy tune. Yeah, it's kind of cheesy, but, I mean, do you order a fucking pizza and not put cheese on it? Like, come on. The song rules. Yeah, I mean, Kiss was always kind of cheesy. That's yeah, part always. Of the song. You can't listen to Kiss and take them, like, too seriously because then you'll miss the whole point. Because yeah. they are basically, like, they're basically, like, spinal, like a real-life spinal tap. Yeah, or McDonald's as food. I mean, I, I, I mean like, Spinal Tap, look at all the, the weird changes they did. They always, like, went with, like, whatever the new, like, fad was in rock music, you know? Yeah. Yep. It's, it's, it's good times. High five. We both like Cadillac Dreams. Hell yeah, man. Cadillac Dreams, man. That song rules. And then we go into a Paul song. None other than King of Hearts. Or, or if it's a Paul song, it should be called Queen of Hearts. Uh, what do you think, Edwin? <laughs> um, Almost there, but not... All the way. Uh, I think we're going to agree on this one, too. Yeah, this is kind of a frustrating song, because it could have been the best Paul song on the album, but I feel it, Well, and I think, yeah, it sounds like we're thinking the same thing. It kind of has a nice build-up. It has a great pre-chorus 
That pre-chorus oh. is like, yeah, it's like Amazing. some magic touch, a Milner one, you know, it, it, it has that kind of majestic quality that Paul, also that song you really love, the, the favorite one, Who Wants to Be Lonely. It has a little, oh, yeah. bit, it has a little bit of that melodic uh, kind of majesty to it. But then I feel drops the ball with the chorus, which I feel is kind of just messy sounding. And it feels a little pieced together. Like, it just never, like, all those other Paul Stanley songs sound more whole and complete. Whereas this sounds like you just needed to spend a little more time with it. It feels a little rushed and a little slapped together. But it feels like there's a really great hook and melody kind of buried in there. And again, if he had just spent a little more time with it, I feel this would have easily been the best song, best Paul Stanley song on the album. But uh, I just, I feel like he dropped the ball on it, and it's just like, it's a little sloppy, and it's not all the way there. So it's kind of frustrating. So that's what I think of King's, King of Hearts, and sounds like you got kind of a similar point of view? I agree, man. This is like, this would have been my favorite Paul song, but it's just the, the fucking ending. Like I feel like he just like he he was on he was writing a great song, and just like whatever got lazy at the end because the ending like right after the solo it's just so disappointing. It's like it's like it, at least it's like you, you know you're 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 banging this really hot chick and like you know you're about to climax and then she just leaves and's like I got something else I need to do my headlights are still on I need to go turn them off and she just fucking leaves and it's like oh that was amazing but like I never got to come that's basically what this song is. It's like really great sex, but you never get to finish. Yeah, it um, goes nowhere. Really, oh, really cool song. I remember one summer, man. This is like I, I was in love with this song, except obviously the ending. I thought the ending was weak. Uh, I, I remember, uh, you know, meeting up with this, you know, way back listening to the song, meeting up with this chick I met on Tinder who, who she catfished the fuck out of me because like all of her pictures, she looked pretty fine. Uh, but then, like, I, I, I met her, and uh, she was like freaking like you know I got nothing against fat women, but she was like you know pretty big man like she was pretty big but i mean that didn't stop me i still did my thing because i am the king of hearts you know at least i was <laughs> back in the day but uh yeah so i i had sex to this song a couple times in the past the song it, it rules but it's just it's it's missing something it it's not complete yeah that's basically what i'm saying i agree 100 percent. like and that's oh. the problem when you have so many songs like like look at dynasty for example like there's only three Paul Stanley songs on that album. But they're and, perfect songs. Yeah, but, and they sound like he spent, you know, you got, you know, Sure Knows Something's my, probably my favorite Kiss song, actually. That, I love that song. And Magic oh, Touch, amazing. And know. Sure Knows Something, that song just gets better with age. I like it, like, I, I like it even more as I've gotten older. It's just, yeah. it's a timeless fucking song. But you, you listen to that song, you listen to Magic Touch, and you listen to, of course, the big hit, you know, uh, I Was Made for Loving yep. It. And they sound like they spent a lot of time on those songs. Yeah, Paul they knew they only had ten songs, and they yeah. had to split the songwriting, like the songwriting equally. So like he put his like everything he had yeah. into just three songs. Where this one, he he's putting, he's trying to put everything into like you know like what twenty fucking songs. Yeah, yeah. Imagine like yeah, if he just had more time and it was just like three or four songs, like then King of Hearts would could have been a song like that, you know, been developed yeah. more. But because they're just knocking them out and just like, hey, what's the next one? That there's not that same level, there's not the same QC, you know, quality control, and they just rush some shit out. So this is definitely the song that I think is most sacrificed, you know, as a result, because, you know, it could have been a really good song, but it's not. Anyway, so the next song, 
Oh, I'm very curious about... Actually, the, this late, latter part of the album is where I'm most curious about what you think of some of these songs. And because I even... My opinion changed on one of them quite a bit, actually. But uh, the next song, The Street Giveth and The Street Taketh Away... Oh, God. I know you're not going to like this song. <laughs> uh, I like it. I like it. In fact, this is a song that I think would have been great for Ace Freely to sing. I think this would have really been a good song for him to sing. It has that jivey kind of New York groove to it. It's a little lazy. It's a little sloppy. But that's kind of what makes it kind of perfect for Ace, you know? And it's funny because Thayer also co-wrote this one as well. So maybe he was already kind of thinking like, ooh, one day I'll be Ace. You know? Um, it's, it's, just got, it's got... I like... I'm like you because I don't hate New York fucking city and I lived there twice in my life <laughs> and I have a lot of fond memories of New York City and I had, oh, a blast, I had a blast when I lived there twice in my life and I like the I like the vibe and the atmosphere and I like it's just to me this again sounds like I like this sounds like a New York band song it's not it's not a highlight you know it's a filler track but it's cool that's the thing to me even a a Gene Simmons filler track is still like good New York pizza. <laughs> oh God, I hate New York yeah. pizza. Yeah, that freaking flat poverty food. Oh, it's oh, terrible. It's good, straight up, no nonsense. We don't need some puffy fucking pie crust. We just want just it's a delicacy, through. Edwin. It's a Chicago <laughs> pizza is a delicacy. Oh, New York okay. pizza is just like oh here here's some cheap like prison food for like a dollar. Your fucking Chicago pizza is like a fucking eclair filled with fucking tomato paste. <laughs> <laughs> it's delicious, motherfucker. <laughs> anyway, so this is the real straight-up thin New York fucking pizza. I like it. Nothing special, but I like it. It's just a cool street song. I'm down with it. What do you think of it? Oh, much like New York, uh, New York style pizza. This song fucking sucks. It's horrible. Gene, uh, so Gene tried ripping off Bon Jovi with that one song, which I don't even remember because it's so forgettable. And now he's ripping off David Bowie, motherfucker! You ain't David Bowie. Gene Simmons can't can't play David Bowie if you gave him the record. My God! And and Tommy Thayer again, like jeez, yeah, this has Tommy Thayer written all over because there's no fucking originality to it. <laughs> This song title's so long, and much like the song, I think it's only like three minutes or something, but it's three minutes too freaking long. Oh, like, I can't even really say anything else about this song, because it's just so bad that I've blocked it from my memory. <laughs> this is like, you know, I, I defend Gene a lot in the 80s, but man, like, this is just horrible. This is Gene phoning it in. I think even Paul Stanley would agree. What yeah, this, song's just, this song's horrible, I... I don't even know why we gave Gene so many songs on this album. He should just not even have song at all. <laughs> Thank you, Paul. Uh, anyway, speaking of shitty Paul Stanley songs, oh, yeah, th this one's this one's pretty fucking bad. Okay, good. Finally, we're going. I'm going to get you to trash on a Paul Stanley song. You love me to hate you. Oh, I, I hate. I, I love to hate oh. Paul Stanley because he writes shitty songs like this. Oh, well, to be fair, I forgot. You did hate... Uh, it's funny because I almost don't think of my... Read My Body as, like, a real song, if you know what I mean. It's <laughs> almost like a joke. It's like, yeah. I feel like that song was a joke. Like, it's not meant to be taken seriously. It's meant but, to be bad. So that's yeah. why I, I don't really, like, hate on it that much. It's just so horrible. But, uh, yeah, but this is, uh, this is, I'd say, the second worst song on the album. Oh, good lord. I always forget this song is on the album yeah. until I listen to it. It's, it's very, very rare, and I'm just like, oh, no, make it stop. 
It's horrible. It's 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 kind of awkward to say to you love me to hate you. And yeah. You got to think about that for a second. I don't I don't want to think this much in rock and roll, man. I shouldn't <laughs> be thinking this much when I'm listening to a damn Kiss song. <laughs> like what what do those words mean? I know it's <laughs> ironic, but how exactly? <laughs> and then I guess she the chicks into him hating him. I don't, or, or the work? guy, because Does it's Paul Stanley, let's be honest, he's a little suspect. Okay, Not that I have yeah. anything wrong with that, just uh, be honest he, about it, Paul, just just tell people, we, have, we, don't, we don't have anything wrong to say about it. Desmond Child co-wrote it with him. Oh my oh, god. Oh, he did more than just co-write this song with him. He like, lived it with him. Hey, I'm not a, I mean, Desmond Child helped him write, you know, the big disco hit back in the day. Yep. And he ain't, well, Desmond Child, I guess the coke is turning on him or something. Oh um, yeah, good lord. Because he's, come on, you need a co-writer to write this fucking forgettable song? For real, like it took actually two people to write this horrible, when I was in high school, dude, I, I had a band. And I wrote a song, and it was like, you know, like, anytime someone writes their first song, like, it's always usually pretty bad and really cheesy, because you're still new to it. I wrote a song called Cat and Heat, which is, like, literally <laughs> the worst, it's like, like, as a that. joke amongst my friends, it's the worst song ever written. And, uh, I mean, Cat and Heat is, sounds like fucking Stairway to Heaven compared to this <laughs> song. Good lord. And I, and I wrote it by myself. I'm still trying, okay, so... When he's saying you, it's like Paul's singing to the person, whether it's a man or woman or non-binary. We don't judge. <laughs> we don't judge. We, whatever your pronoun is, we will, yeah. We will, yeah. So Paul's singing to this person, this human being. You, you love to hate pronouns. You love me to hate you. So that means a person's into like kind of, it's kind of a fucked up, uh, I guess, destructive relationship where... This person wants Paul to hate them. But anyway, so so this clusterfuck of an idea that <laughs> for this very forgettable song written by Desmond Child and Paul Stanley. You know, I, I imagine, they, I, I know Paul, I don't know, like there's this thing, like I, I sometimes wonder if maybe he did do drugs. You know what I mean? I know this idea that Paul doesn't do he, drugs. He either did drugs or he didn't do enough drugs. Cause, there's oh, something going on. This, this is real coke shit. I mean, I know Desmond Child had to be doing drugs. This is like, oh yeah, you know, you know that. This scene is the point when the drugs stop working. Like when you do when you're when you're a songwriter and you're in a band or something and you're doing shit tons of blow, you'll write some great songs like Supernod or Snowblind. But then it gets to a point where the drugs stop working yeah. and then you're writing shit like rock old doctor this is like third act boogie nights type shit where, where it's all going it's going bad like, yeah where he's like in the mirror for like five hours trying to get an erection to do a scene and it's just not happening it's not working the erection it's not working Dirk Diggler can't get up no more <laughs> and Thomas Jane shows up and he's gonna get you into some shady business and it's all going down the tubes <laughs> Oh, that that movie's amazing too. By the way, I I would rather watch that fucking movie than listen to this fucking album. But this, yeah, they, they they wouldn't play the song during the montage of Desmond Child and Paul Stanley writing this song because the song itself would not convey the depravity and darkness of this period when they wrote the song. <laughs> They'd have to get a better sounding song. But anyway, but some I don't know. I I'm just thinking that. Cocaine had to be involved somehow. There had to be. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Whether it's Paul or it's like Desmond Child needs some blow and he like sent Paul out to blow some like drug dealer to get him some blow or something. I don't know. Even this the, song is terrible. Even the idea to put fucking 15 songs on this album. That's coke shit because you're all coked up. You think every song's great. You're like, 
Yeah, this is our fucking White Album. <laughs> oh god, this song is far from the White Album. I mean, the, the White Album, as in like, there's too much blow being done by the producers. Actually, no, Paul and Gene self-produced this shit because it's so bad. People can write "You Love Me to Hate You" on blood on the walls. Oh they god, kill some I don't know actress from Growing see, Pains. This song, something. I could see Charles Manson wanting to like kill a bunch of people too, because I could see his album driving someone that fucking insane where they do something as horrible as that, because this album blows. This ain't uh, the White Album. Anyway, okay. Oh. So, so, uh, so we both don't care for. Oh, love me to hate you. I mean, this song sounds like bad, like, uh, like a '80s heart Z side. I mean, even Ann and Nancy Wilson probably heard this song and told Paul to grow a fucking pair. My <laughs> God, and the chorus. You know, this is just as bad as like the the chorus in this song is just as bad as like My Way, where Paul just sings obnoxiously. And Paul in the 80s, man, could get pretty fucking obnoxious with his voice. Or just it's in like, the 80s. Oh, it's like, I'm <laughs> listening to this shit, it's like, Paul, shut the fuck up. I did, that's a problem, like I said, this is the thing, I, sometimes Paul can sound cool, he sounded really cool oh, yeah. rock, rock and roll over, and there's a few songs where he sounds cool, but I find myself a lot of times listening to Kiss albums thinking just what you said, shut the fuck Over-sing- up, Paul. Yeah, over-singing, <laughs> like, horribly. It's like, shut the fuck up, Donnie. Shut the fuck up. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, next song. Thankfully, Paul's done. He's left the building. Yes, thank God. Go the fuck. I'll see you guys later. I gotta go meet with Desmond real quick, because I love me to hate him. Oh, wow. We get three songs in a row without Paul Stanley singing lead. I'm oh, a thank fucking... God. I'm that's, a that's a good thing. Sally, these song, like, Sally, like, one of these songs is pretty bad. But, oh. but only one of them. Only one of them. We're, we're gonna have an issue, because I don't think any of these songs are bad. One's, you know, not great, but okay. Not this song. Somewhere between heaven and hell. Oh, this is uh, a song you like? I don't like it. I love oh. it, motherfucker. Oh God, you love this? It's fucking badass. Man, this, this album really did damage your brain cells. <laughs> Good lord. <laughs> Man, I fucking love this song. It's great. It, you know, it's a it's a badass kind of mean sounding. It's not. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying it's on this level, but it has the vibe of a kind of creatures from the night or. Uh, lick it up kind of gene song. Not again. Oh my god! No, no, you're missed, not on that level, but I mean the vibe. It's just got a mean vibe to it, and it's got that you know, it's got that cool sneaky little dark riff that comes on. I actually don't even mind the synth bass when it pops in the verse. Oh it's got, god! It's kind of funky sounding, and it sounds kind of cool. Uh, so I like it, and I love Gene's voice. And this was not a song I used to think was that great. I used to think this was kind of a filler track. But listening to it, and I listened to it twice just to make sure it wasn't fucking brain damage from listening to this album, uh, which it might be. But I listened to this song twice today, and I'm convinced it's now my third favorite track. My third favorite track. God, we, we, didn't, get, we didn't get to my second favorite track yet. But oh. my third favorite track, and it's a badass tune. I think this should have been the the lead, like the, the first song on the album, or at least the first song on the second side. It just, to me, it sounds like something's coming. Some demon's coming in your fucking face. It's tough and mean. It's somewhere between heaven and hell. I don't want Gene Simmons coming in my face. (laughs) That's fucking rock and roll. What kind of of Kiss fan are you that you don't want the fucking demon coming in your face? I don't want his come near my face. (laughs) Man, that will just make you uh, magnetic to the ladies. Oh, God. It will pull them in. 
<laughs> I already had Paul Stanley come on my face. I don't need James Simmons to do it as well. Paul Stanley come brings dudes. Oh, Jesus. Gene Simmons come brings the ladies. Uh, Ace Freely come brings uh, Beer Chris. Ace <laughs> Freely <Beer> Chris. <laughs> oh, so, somewhere between heaven and hell. They should have called this song somewhere between uh, taking a shit or throwing up. This song fucking sucks. Three minutes, 52 seconds. More like three minutes and 52 seconds too long. This song's just forgettable. I can't even tell you like what I think of it or like what I think about the chorus because I just I, I mentally blocked this song out of my brain. It's like a repressed memory. It's just so bad. And at this point, I was just like <laughs> wanting this album the freaking end. Oh, good lord! It's I don't know. This, I can't even say anything about this this song. It's just so terrible. Just move on to the next one. <laughs> Little Caesar, not to be confused with Little Caesar's Pizza. Or Little Caesars the band. <laughs> uh, okay, so obviously this is the Eric Carr sung song. That's the thing that most KISS fans will tell you and get excited about. And it's an alright little rock song. I don't mind it. It's alright. And it's enhanced by the fact that you're hearing a different voice. You know, that's the cool thing about hearing different singers sometimes. You know, oh, that's why I hear fucking Paul Stanley's obnoxious voice. Yeah. But, you know, it adds diversity. That's one of the things, you know, I love about bands like the Beatles and, and Kiss. And I'm also a Sonic Youth fan, and they do that, mm-hmm. too. I like bands where there's different singers, because, I don't know, I got a short attention span. I like when a different voice <laughs> comes in. And it's cool. And, and that's something I kind of missed from 70s Kiss. That's what I loved about 70s Kiss, that they had multiple singers. So, yeah. Besides just Gene and Paul all the time, Gene and Paul. So I welcome hearing Eric Carr finally at the end. You know, I know he did that kind of shitty redo of Beth, but I'm not counting that. You know, in terms of a proper original song, this is the only time... Correct me if I'm wrong. Eric Carr sung a song. Yeah, and, sadly, because yeah. he had an amazing voice, and uh, uh, from what I heard, he was a pretty damn good songwriter. But they just they never want him to. Uh, yeah, I I I've really like, especially Paul Stanley. I've really grown to hate the way they treat Eric Carr, uh, especially Paul Stanley. Paul really was a shithead. The fucking Eric Carr treat him like yeah. shit. And I found out when I read his book, and that's where I don't. I do not feel bad for Paul Stanley. Losing his voice and this and that because yeah, Paul was a dick to Eric Carr. I mean, Gene and Paul didn't even bother to play on this freaking song. They just, you know, it's really just Eric and Bruce, and then they maybe like phone in some freaking background vocals. It's just, you know, Eric Carr probably, I, Eric Carr could have done so much with this band and made some of these albums in the late eighties really good if they let him contribute or at least sing some songs because he had a beautiful voice. He was a great fucking guy. I fucking love Eric Carr. And, and no, I, I love this song. It's a good song. It's the greatest? No. But it's a great song. Yeah, I dig it. You know, and they used to let him, like, remember when he sang, like, Young and Wasted, like, live? Oh, yeah. He used to sing, I mean, I love Gene's vocal on that song, but Eric yeah. Carr did it justice. He just had such a cool voice. Yeah, and that's, like, one of Gene's strongest vocals. And he's, yeah, like, exactly. He's kind of, like, hanging in there and doing it, you know? It's, it's yeah, pretty, I... pretty impressive. I love Eric Carr. It just makes me sad that he's no longer around. It uh, uh, wait. It, it makes me sad that he's no longer around. Let me give me one second. Sorry about that. My cat. Uh, the door was left open. My cat almost got out. Um, the cat man. Yeah, yeah. But man, Bob, we're talking to Eric Carr. Yeah, I love Eric Carr, man. Yeah, I'm glad to share a name with him. It's just sad that he died, and it just really makes me mad too. Because like Kiss really kind of you know with the whole thing of like you know. 
what, what happened to his health insurance? You know, like when he got his cancer and like Kiss just kicked him to the curb on his deathbed. Just the whole way he was treated makes me mad. Is this the greatest song ever? No. But I mean, this is pretty damn good for like such a horrible album. Uh, and just, you know, it's great to hear Eric Carr's voice. I'm glad he at least got his voice on like one Kiss song. But man, rest in peace, Eric Carr. Hell of a drummer, man. And just what, what an amazing human being he was. Uh, great fucking song. I love it. Yeah, I'm a Air Car fan too. He's yeah. like a cool little guy, great drummer. My second favorite drummer in Kiss. I'm a Peter Chris guy, but Air Car. Oh, yeah, for those seventies Kiss albums, you gotta have Peter. Yeah, but man, Air Car was a great. He 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 really helped Kiss for like the eighties because you needed like a more of a heavier drummer for like the eighties yeah. when they went to that metal sound. You which yeah. as mu- as good as Peter Chris is, as much as I love him, they wouldn't ever been able to do a a, a metal album like Creatures of the Night without uh without a guy like Eric Carr. No, he. Does, that, I feel like half that album is Eric Carr. Like, oh in yeah, terms absolutely. Of what makes it so awesome? And yeah, he had a big fucking sound on the drums, and he, you know, they they are fortunate to get a lot of talented people that they've collaborated with over the years. Kiss, and he was one of them. And it's a cool little, just a cool little straight up rock ditty. It's very garage sounding. I dig it, you know. And that's um, this is the thing. I know I, I like this album better than you, obviously. And the the kind of the mission the mission statement of this album was let's do something a little more straight up, a little more raw, yeah, a little more old school compared to the last one. And, and the whole I, album was basically just demos. I mean, yeah. And it's not really. I, I mean, I doubt it's to try and get a more strip stripped down style. The whole thing with the demos is probably just a money thing. I mean, you can even tell what you know the fact that Paul and Gene produced this by themselves. That's usually like a big sign that you know, unless you're Jimmy Page. That's a big sign that, like, oh, we just need money, and the producer's the first guy to get paid with an album. You know Gene and Paul are trying to save every fucking nickel and penny and every little dime they can. I, uh, I and they just put out the demos, because it was just, you know, they may say, like, oh, it was just to create a more stripped-down sound. It's like, no, this is just, you know, you're trying to save money. Because if you got to re-record the shit, it's more money. And, uh, you know, you know, Kiss R, man, they, they love that money. I think it could be a little bit of both, though, to be fair, because the other thing about Kiss is they do follow trends, and the trend was moving away from that slicker kind of, the hair metal of, um, you know, Crazy the early Nights. 80s. Yeah, we were getting to, like we brought up, where things were getting a little rootier and more 70s again, and, you know, we were just a year or two away from grunge. So I, I think they were also, I mean, if you looked at their image, again, their hair is a little more straightened here. They're not quite full-on revenge kiss yet. But they, uh, the they're transitioning. Ridiculous. Yeah, they're transitioning. So I think kind of, I think both they were saving money, and second they thought, hey, we we're gonna move, you know, follow the trend and move away from the slicker, more produced thing with keyboards, a lot of keyboards and all that stuff, and kind of bring things back to the roots a little bit. And I feel like if it was, if they, you know, again, like we keep saying, if it was a shorter, if there was less songs and a shorter track listing. And they just kind of kept that as the focus for the most part. I mean, imagine if this album was pretty much all the straight kind of just the more rocking songs. And then you have Forever as like the second to last track, a little kind of like rock and roll over, you know, with, you know, you know, Hard Luck Woman, you know, like where you have like just that one acoustic ballad towards the second side, you know, mm-hmm. that's single. Imagine and everything else is just kind of straight up rockers. I mean, this it wouldn't have been you know, on the same songwriting level as Rock and Roll Over, but it could have been an album kind of like that in the late 80s because they kind of just didn't allow, they, they kind of lost the plot. 
and they it just too much it got too bloated too many songs they just didn't know how to chisel it down and they get a little bit kind of seduced by the CD age which i think seduced a lot of bands into putting out a lot of albums loaded with filler yeah but, like aerosmith but, man they were they were huge like just uh vict- well, not victims but i mean they were just huge yeah. uh just huge into like just filling albums up with too much shit and I, I feel like yeah, there there there's a good album buried in a mediocre album to me. And yep. if they just chiseled away the fat and really put the focus, they could have had a kind of a late eighties decent album, uh, like a kind of late eighties like back to basics kind of kiss album, more yeah. so than what Revenge was, you know. I think, but they didn't do it. But now we can get to the, the last final song, song, five fifteen track fifteen. <laughs> Wow! See, I told you. Good lord, that's a marathon. By the way, this is why this should have been, and it is, the first episode we've ever done with just you and me. Yeah. No guests. Because <laughs> we know if there was a guest on this episode. Oh, this, this would be like a three hour episode. <laughs> It'd be way too long. <laughs> uh, so, anyway, Boomerang. Boomerang, easily. Easily my second favorite song on the album. And it's the only one. That rivals the masterpiece that is betrayed. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, it's God. obviously the heaviest song on the album, and yeah. I kind of bounce between the two. I kind of wanted to say Boomerang's my favorite, but I don't, there's just got some kind of dark groove to Betrayed that just connects with me. Obviously, not you, but Boomerang, man, man, this song fucking cooks. Like it's it's For real, not, and it's not just that it's heavy. It's like heavy and speedy. And fun and ballsy and inventive, like all in one and all in three minutes and thirty seconds. And I think it's easily Bruce Kulick's greatest guitar work. He's fucking doing all these crazy, almost like kind of like rockabilly type soloing over this kind of thrashy song. That's I'd say this is the closest Kiss I ever got to thrash. Yeah. And it's it's heavy. It's just a really heavy, thundering song. Of course, Gene's singing it as he should. It's a heavy fucking song, and he does his belting out and like towards mm-hmm. the end. He does those screams too, man. Because Gene can do some pretty damn good screams. He doesn't always do it, but when he does, it's like son of a bitch. This guy can actually scream his ass off, you know? Yeah, like lick it up. He does a lot of those kinds. Of yeah, I love when Gene screams his head off. Like you said, he does it very well, and he does it here, especially at the end. He kicks in with some major screaming, but the whole song is just very speedy and cool it's like what if you took a thrash song but gave it a old school rock and roll kind of vibe to it and that's yeah. what i love about it it's like the two combined it's like rock and roll and thrash it's like thrash and roll <laughs> you know it's like, yeah. almost like its own little genre that kiss created with boomerang and i even love how they say boomerang in the song and again kulik i think it's his some of his best guitar, so it's his best guitar soloing in Kiss, and I love this song. And when you listen to this song, you go, "Why doesn't Why didn't Kiss make more awesome music in the '80s?" Because this, you know, oh, I think it's that Paul Stanley guy getting in the fucking way. Yeah, that Paul Stanley guy <laughs> jumping on his damn Bon Jovi trends and shit. It was oh, Wait, this is this fucking this is a great fucking ballsy rock and roll heavy metal music. I love Boomerang. Sounds like you don't hate it either. Oh, dude, this song rules. Uh, they're this is my favorite song off the album for two reasons. One, it's just fucking, it's heavy, it's good old, you know, it's like Kiss doing speed metal. And two, it's the last song on the album. So every time I hear the song, I'm like, oh, sweet, a good song, and the album's finally freaking over. Uh, 
the song's great, and it, it it's funny too because like so many people bash Gene, but he's got some good songs. And Paul, as I've gotten older, I realized, man, he wrote some bad songs. And what's sad is Gene's writing these amazing songs. And he's not even really trying. It was Paul's actually like he's trying so hard, and he writes some garbage. Uh, this freaking song rules, though, man. Uh, the only thing I would have liked better is to hear this song, but like with like Creatures of the Night production, with like some more thunderstrums, because you do hear like the the Remo drum pads and whatnot, and like the more neutered uh, production. Imagine this song, like you know, Creatures of the Night production with loud thunderous drums and like you know some you know heavier beefier production. Oh, yeah, well, man. this whole album, I think, especially if they if they lost like uh, three to five songs and had a more early '80s beefier "Lick It Up" or "Creatures," you know, the the night kind of production. This album, yeah, like I, said, I think it would have been a good album, but that's not the case. The production is a big problem. Although I yeah. still prefer it to the really overly slick uh, "Crazy Nights" production. <laughs> But that's that's just me. Well, at least you like Boomerang. Oh, Boomerang rules. And I would have sad, issues. So you. many people hate this fucking song. There's so many people that just hate the song. Like, oh, Chris Jericho. I think Chris Jericho hates it. Which Chris Jericho, like, his favorite Kiss album is Crazy Nights. So I really take his opinion with a grain of fucking salt. As much as I love Chris Jericho. That's his favorite Kiss album? I think I, I, I'm positive. I did no. like a review on it. Like, the Amazing History Science Theater, which is a great wow. podcast. He has a review on it, and he just... Uh, Chris Jericho, I think, really secretly like has the hots for Paul Stanley. That man talks too much about Paul Stanley and his like Crazy Nights era like thong picture. I don't know. But, uh, yeah, well, yeah Chris, that's like his favorite Kiss album is Crazy Nights. And it's like, really? That's suspect. Anyone that, that is. has that as their favorite Kiss album, sus- suspicious in general. Yes. I don't trust that guy. Someone's tied, <laughs> up. Someone's tied up in his basement. Yeah, for real. Oh my God! What we finally got through that damn album, and we're uh, done. No more hot in the shade. Yeah, uh, I mean, not a bad album. Joke on it, but it's a it's a good album if it didn't have so much filler. If they just stripped down to ten tracks, like the ten best tracks, it could have been a good album. It could have been one of their better albums of like this era. But no, could have could have had a cooler album, a cooler album cover too. Oh, that album cover's stupid. Like, uh, maybe like, uh, I love, I love uh, like hard rock, heavy metal, like with Egypt, Egyptian themes, like you know, like you know, uh, Last in Line by Dio and uh, this and that, uh, Power Slave by Maiden. But man, like Kiss dropped the ball with it. I would, put, I would have liked to see a, a sexy lady with um, the Kiss logo would be tattooed on her cleavage as she's being pulled down from a by a demon into hell. <laughs> Holy shit, that would have been awesome. That that would have been the Or at least just like throw some hot chicks or something <laughs> like in Egypt with like KISS logos on them or something. But anything but a, a dance. I mean, that, that album cover was probably another like money-saving decision. That was probably some cheap like, oh, let's Photoshop some uh, sunglasses on a, a, a Egyptian Sphinx. Statue. Yeah, Sphinx. Sphinx. And uh, Sphinx. it'll be cheap as fuck. <laughs> it's, it's, it's Paul Stanley pronounces it. It's Sphinx. Sphinx. <laughs> Oh, uh, man, but, God, we got through that album. Like I said, oh, it's not a horrible man. album, but it's just filled up with too much crap. Yeah, I, next time uh, we get back together, my brain cells will be working again. Yes, yeah. yes, we'll be reviewing a, a... I think we should be reviewing a really good album uh, next episode, depending on uh, depending on yeah. who's available. 
Yeah. But yeah, I mean, even if it's not the greatest album, it's always a fun time, like talking about it. So, Edwin, to wrap this up, why don't you recommend a, a good album to people out there to to clean their ears of this horrible kit, this horrible like late '80s kiss. Uh, well, I'm going to go back to the 70s, because whenever I've heard shitty late 80s uh, music, usually, or mediocre, or not so bad, but if they tighten it up, you know, albums, <laughs> uh, I, I want to go back to the 70s. So, 70s, when albums had short, you know, so didn't uh, weigh off their welcome, so the albums were eight or ten songs. Anyway, um, I want to talk about this group and this album, because it's a band, Nazareth, which I don't know if some Ooh. of our hardcore fans might know that the transitional episode of this program, when yep. it kind of transit, it was technically the Metal Dungeon, but it's kind of the transitional episode where I came on and we discussed how we were changing the format and the title and blah blah blah. So it was like the episode before the first Rock All Over You podcast was a Nazareth episode, and we had Joseph Strobe uh, on the the episode, who's a big Nazareth fan. And at the time, I was like kind of a dick about Nazareth. I, <laughs> I, I kind of felt like I was being a dick. Because I had like kind of, I sampled a lot of their shit. And let me tell you something. Nazareth is not a band that, uh, they, they're a grower band. You really got to like band. listen to them and absorb them. For one thing, a lot of their best albums are not available on Spotify. They have like three or four really good albums in the 70s that, you can't even hear on Spotify. So you got to go to YouTube. You can't kind of lazily skim Nazareth, you know? Yeah. You some deep diving. And even a couple of their late 70s albums, you know, when you're just skimming through them, all you know is that Nazareth doesn't seem to be as hard rocking as you feel they should be. Because they have yeah. a singer that sounds like Brian Johnson. And, and here, they have some pretty badass, like almost metal-looking album covers as well. Yeah, exactly. Between the album covers and, you know, I always had, I had Hair of the Dog, and I love that album. Oh, amazing. Amazing album. And I always thought, oh, well, you know, Nazareth should have developed into being more like an ACDC type band. And they they just didn't. They didn't become that kind of band. And then once you get into the 80s and they start doing synth pop songs and stuff, you just go, oh, well, fuck this band. They lost the plot. And, you know, it's more complicated than that. And that's the thing. I started, uh, Mr. X hooked me up with the Nazareth uh, discography. And I have every Nazareth album. (laughs) So now I took the time to really kind of uh, let's just say I went into Nazareth's discography in a more uh, thoughtful and you know way, and I listened to their albums more completely. I wasn't just sampling them. And yeah, from a commercial standpoint, they definitely did not go in the direction that they really should have went in. But and they were a little too eclectic for their own good. But if you you know who gives a fuck about how many you know units they sold or not? It's like are these good albums? And for the most part, there's a few kind of you know. Not so hot albums, you know, once you get into the 80s, especially the mid and late 80s. But throughout the 70s and the early 80s, Nazareth, one thing they never released was a boring album. And I think their their albums are actually filled with a lot of good songs and great songs. And you got to start thinking of them more like, um, like if you think of them more like Thin Lizzy or like Blue Oyster Cult, like as a kind of just offbeat eclectic band. Yeah, you, you can't listen to the greatest hits, because greatest hits yeah. really sometimes won't give you like actually the, the real good songs. The whole vibe of an album, and that's yeah. definitely an album-oriented band, and I once I started listening to Nazareth, like they're more like B.O.C. or Thin Lizzy, 
then suddenly the fact that they weren't consistently as hard rocking as I thought they should be didn't bother me anymore. And the album I want to recommend is from 1977, Expect No Mercy. Ooh, badass album cover too, by the way. badass (laughs) album cover. Probably their greatest album cover. It's really badass. Looks like something out of a... Uh, like heavy metal, that you know, uh, the magazine, the, the magazine, yeah. yeah, it's really badass for Conan the Barbarian on yeah. like acid. It's awesome, and with the exception of the first song, none of the rest of the album really looks like that cover. So, <laughs> uh, but it, but again, that's the thing. You just gotta divorce the album cover and not just don't go in with the expectations, you know, expectations that it's gonna be sound. some kind of heavy metal album. Yeah. The first song is like a heavy metal song, Expect No Mercy, the title track. It has a little bit of a disco groove to it, but it's still heavy. It's like a heavy metal song for the most part. Great guitar line, and, you know, it's it's amazing. And his vocals, you know, he's amazing. He's an amazing singer. He sings just like Brian Johnson. But exactly. Imagine, it's imagine like, imagine Jordy, you know, his band Jordy. Imagine. Uh-huh. Jordy, if they kind of didn't break up, and rather than joining ACDC, they just kind of developed throughout the yep. 70s. I feel that's what Nazareth is, you know? Nazareth is like Jordy developing. And so it's interesting to hear, like, what if Brian Johnson sang, because we know he's an amazing singer, what if oh, he yeah. sang other kind of songs besides the hard rock and stuff? And that's when you get into stuff like the second song, Gone, Gone, Gone Dead Train. Gone Dead Train, amazing song. And... One thing I always thought about uh, Johnson and McCafferty is that they got a John Fogarty kind of vibe to their singing, you know, from Credence Clearwater Revival. And that's the thing. Nazareth really kind of leans into the, the CCR kind of vibe, too. And yeah, is, they do. Yeah, and that's a great song. Shot Me Down, amazing kind of soul rock kind of ballad. Love that song. Revenge of Sweet Badass. Kentucky Fried Blues. Ooh, <laughs> this is us a rocking, funky song. Sexy fucking gritty song. McCafferty fucking tearing it up with his vocals. Love the thing. Uh, Bust It's a great uh, cover of that song. Placing Your Heart's great melodic song. All the King's Horses. Amazing ending. Sounds like something that could have been on Hair of the Dog. Um, it's a dark, kind of menacing sounding, kind of Scottish dirge. And that's the thing. They were a Scottish band. In the same way that Finn Lizzy brings in their kind of Irishness. I feel Nazareth brings in their Scottishness, and yeah. it, it, they're a cool band, and I would definitely recommend, obviously, Hair of the Dog should be your first Nazareth album, but if you got Hair of the Dog and you want to listen to another Nazareth album, I recommend, from 1977, Expect No Mercy, and then just kind of go a little bit, you know, go to the early 70s, and then if you're kind of adventurous, go further into the late 70s and early 80s, where I think they still have some good shit, even though it's different kinds of music, you know? They even experiment with new age, uh, new wave, new wave and college rock kind of sounding shit. But it's all good, and this album is an amazing album, and now I feel like a dick (laughs) for being so hard on Nazareth, so I want to make up for that. So there you go, that's my little... I'm sorry, Nazareth. <laughs> you guys were a great band. I dig it. I dig it. Damn. Uh, I'm gonna need a. Yeah, I'm gonna need a rag to clean up all the cum from uh, you splurging over Nazareth right there. <laughs> but yeah, no, Nazareth's pretty damn good. They're, they're a band. I, I'm much like you. I, I still gotta kind of give them a give them a chance a little bit more. Like uh, really, really like you know, spend some time to listen to them. Uh, the album I'm gonna recommend. It's one I've been listening to a lot lately. 
is uh, by an amazing like newer heavy metal band called Toxicol. Uh, Toxicol like toxic, but like with like a coal at the end. Uh, re- really weird like really weird name, but man, what a killer band! And I believe the singer from uh, another newer metal band called Midnight Priest. Uh, he sings on this. It's like one of his other bands, but. I'm oh, talking about the their, midnight. Uh, I didn't, it's the midnight. I noticed you posting that a lot, but I haven't listened yeah. to it yet. But I, I, I like a midnight priest. I'm a fan of that band. So oh, it's the same singer. I believe it's. This, I, I'm almost positive. I think it's the same singer from Midnight Priest. But toxic, and they're like all the same music, just traditional sounding heavy metal. But man, their their album Cursed and Punished. Uh, I mean, that's been on. I've been listening to that nonstop like these past two weeks. Just a hell of an album, man. Sacred Whip, Cursed and Punished, Killer Night, Speed Blood Metal in the Name of Evil. Just a uh, good old, you know, 10-song, 33-minute album that just, you know, does not let up. It's a great album. If you like, you know, some of these, you know, new wave of traditional heavy metal bands that are coming out, you got to give this band a listen. Great freaking band. Uh, I think they're getting ready to release another album soon here. So, yeah, I checked out uh, Cursed and Punished by Toxicol. Cool, I'll have to check that out. Yeah. Well, that was our Hot in the Shade review, or the Hot in the Shit review. Uh, And that was a great episode with Edwin. And join us for our next episode, where we will have Paul Stanley and maybe even Vinnie Vincent on our next episode. I I can't deal with that. My mind is going. (laughs) Well, Vinnie Vincent may not show up, so don't get your... Oh, okay. <laughs> Our, I paid him, so he may he's probably not going to show up now. <laughs> he definitely won't. Yep. Well, Edwin, I had a great time, man. Until next time. All right. Later, brother. Later. Bye.